Three, two, one. Welcome to the Dave of the Dog Trainer podcast, episode 96. Uh, today we're being joined by uh, Garrett from American Standard Canine. Um, they have amassed about 3 million followers across all their platforms. Let's get them on. <coughs> all right, let's hope we don't run into any technical difficulties. All right, here's some audio. How are you? Garrett, how's it going? Good. How's the lighting? Um and the audio it looks beautiful and it sounds beautiful you know we just did some lighting tweaks ourselves so hopefully we all have a nice glow <laughs> perfect yeah because i can make adjustments i can kick the lighting up or no no in fact look, try uh, real quick. put one on uh, i look beautiful you look beautiful recording <laughs> in progress all right uh-huh. well garrett this is uh this is josh my co-host here he's right. not a dog trainer but he's a video guy and uh he likes Perfect. to speak dog as well from time to time. So, uh, listen, I'm happy uh, we're able to join us here. Um, been uh, following you for a little while now. Um, it looks like you've had a really rapid like rise to fame on the social media. I mean, I think I was going back on your Instagram last night. I think your first post was something from like mid 2019. Yeah, for sure. Uh, everything, especially TikTok, uh, blew up. Not overnight, but close to it. Yeah. You know, we're talking. <clears throat> I think we started our uh, TikTok somewhere around uh, December of 2021, and by oh, wow. by like April of 2022, we we already roughly I think we we maybe hit around a million. It, it's pretty quick like that, maybe four or five months. Yeah, what do you equate a lot of that to? I mean, I, I'm that stuff is always so interesting to me, especially the TikTok side of things, because that's been my least used platform so far. And, you know, we have something like 5,000 followers or something on it at this point. And we've talked to a lot of people that have, like, fairly substantial TikTok followings, like half a million, million, stuff like that. And everybody says the same thing, where it was just like basically an overnight, it went from, like, zero to something. And then it was just the slow maintain and grow from there. Correct. Yeah. I mean, one viral video can do a lot for you. Yeah. Um, You're constantly trying to... uh, you know, figure out what the algorithm wants, but you, you can't do that because you'll just drive yourself crazy. There's been times where we put a ton of money, time and effort into trying to create like a viral video yeah, and it's a complete flop. Sure. And then other times you just throw something up on your phone yeah. that you weren't even thinking. You're just like, uh, you know what? Go ahead and put it up <laughs> and you put it up and it does wonderful. So you just never know. And oftentimes too, what we find is that videos that are slightly controversial tend to do well. Yeah. And that doesn't mean we go out there and try to start uh, controversies. It's just what's interesting is you'll never know what's a controversy. For instance, one of the first videos that went viral on TikTok was me introducing a young puppy, like three or four month old uh, Connie Corso. Yeah. And she's a, a big girl and she's a very pretty little puppy. And all I simply was saying in the video, again, this is just one of those videos you could have just thrown out. Yeah. And all I was saying was that the dog was um, bought by the owner mm-hmm. with intentions of at one point when she's older, potentially breeding her with another Corso that he has. <laughs> yeah. That's all. It's not, this is just what the guy told me. Yeah. I don't care about that. Uh, I just thought it'd be interesting to tell a little backstory because we had trained the first dog named Bronx. He's like 175 plus pound kind of Corso, beautiful dog, oversized. Yeah. Um, and we have the puppy, uh, the, the female from the same breeder. And all I said was, yeah, when she's of age, and it, of course, when her hips are checked and when her temperament's right and everything checks off, they'll breed her. Lord have mercy, the comments blew up. Uh, 
that's when I first learned that the red flag emoji basically means I'm a pedophile. <laughs> uh, somehow, somehow I'm a pedophile because the owner of that dog wants to breed this dog at some point. Uh, I don't know if you knew this or not, but a three-month-old puppy uh, should have a say in who she has sex with when she's two or three years old. I mean, they just went on and on. It's just like, what is wrong with people? Yeah. And that's when I realized, you know, TikTok is kind of a, it's a blessing, but it's also a curse. It's kind of a nasty, uh, nasty form. People are extra nasty yeah. on TikTok, the things they say. I don't know if there's a certain level of anonymity, anonymity uh, but people will say really nasty things. There. And I don't even mean to me. Yeah. Just, just to each other and racial things. And yeah. they'll take anything and just tweak it uh, and, you know, interpret it how they want to. So what can yeah. you do? Yeah, we've had a we've talked about that a lot as far as trying to dissect, like, why is TikTok that way? Because, you know, the the small following that we have was gained from the same deal, like a handful of videos going you call it viral, call it whatever, you know, 50,000 views, 100,000 views, stuff like that. And just anytime that's happened, even on the, the most seemingly dumb little things, uh, people just, just go absolutely bonkers. And then the funniest part is when they start like fighting with each other in the comments. Oh, and yeah. It's like video reply, video reply, video reply, video reply. And then you go on these people's pages and it's like, God, like th this is all you do all day long is just go and make video replies to people that you hate and just, 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 yeah. just be brutal. Well, don't get me started on the, professional dog trainers of TikTok. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a whole thing. And that's a, Lord that's a whole, mercy. lot of the reason why I wanted to have you on. I think, you know, <laughs> it's funny. Like, it, it, there's this weird thing going on in the dog world right now where it's like, because of, like you were saying, trying to figure out the algorithm and figure out, like, what people want to see and stuff. <clears throat> we, we've started creating this era of, like, dog trainers that put out this content. Like, it's like, in this, like, they try to, like, extra complicate things to make a creative video out of it to put it out to try to get like the audience to 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 get views and clicks and stuff like that but all of it the information they're actually sharing is just like ridiculous right it's like do 17 u-turns and a sit and a down before you start every walk and your dog will walk perfectly for you right around like squirrels and birds and distractions and stuff like that and it's like there's such a lack of people with large followings that are putting out like what I call like real stuff, right? There are like actual solutions for these problems. We're actually showing how it is. And just things like I, I messaged you about like your, uh, the car reactivity video that you posted and just, oh, just yeah. stuff like, like there are actually ways to solve this stuff much faster than the ways that people are putting it out there. And I think a lot of people need to see that stuff. And there's a, there's a big lack of it because of all the hate that you'll get in a lot of cases for posting videos like that. Sure. Sure. So I think that also maybe, is to your other point, like maybe why, what separates us a little bit from the rest of the pack yeah. um, is we, we just do what we do. You know, I, I don't um, say censor or, or hold back on the, on the reality of dog training. Sure. Um, it, it is what it is like that video uh, to some people's eyes looks atrocious. And sure. the video we're talking about is, is a probably about a hundred pound Rottweiler that, has basic, basically a death wish. He likes to shoot out in front of cars. And I mean, full speed, no hesitation. And in, and I didn't even know how bad it was. All yeah. I was told, and this is Josh Hart, you know, famous NBA player. He says, Ed, the dog is kind of weird around, around cars. He likes to go after them. Okay. So we got the leash and prong set up. This isn't like staged. It's not like we set an hour in place and I studied the dog's behavior. And we've been working with the dog in the home. We literally just came outside. My assistant, I think, is in the background going to get another piece of equipment or something that we need for the walk. And out of the blue, here comes a car. It happens to be a very busy road. It's a residential street. There's just a lot of cars coming. There there, there we go. The dog 
goes like a lot faster than I ever expected. Yeah. I simply bust a U-turn. It's basically what we consider in the industry a self-correction. Yeah. He yoked the shit out of himself. Sorry, I don't know if we're allowed to curse or not. Oh, but, you, you say whatever you want. But literally, he yoked himself. Yeah. It's not personal. I don't yell at the dog. But we fixed that problem in, you know, two minutes. Yeah. And by fixed, I mean, mind you, 60-second video that only shows the first correction. Yeah. What it doesn't show is the two hours that we spent continuing to work that dog in and around cars. Like it, now it becomes my life's mission to make sure that this dog is perfect around cars. And guess what? Mission accomplished. Yeah. And they don't see the, you know, pounds of hot dogs and treats that we gave to the dog uh, when it stopped being reactive towards cars. They didn't see the video where the dog literally goes into it's on its own, drops into a beautiful, relaxed downstay without me saying a word in the middle of an intersection as cars are passing by. So, and, and the typical thing that you usually hear is there's better ways to train that. I'm like, <laughs> all right, show me, yeah. just show me. That's all I ask, yeah. you know? And then you look at the comments, excuse me, you, you, you'll click the link of the, you know, uh, self-proclaimed dog trainer and they have 300 followers yeah. or, and they are professional like antagonists. They're professional like uh, poachers almost. They come to bigger channels and just try to poach clients and yeah, whatever. What can you do? You know? Yeah, I did notice that also. As far as the like, you're funny. You're saying like the poaching. It's like people go on and they'll start commenting to everybody commenting on it, and that's got to be a strategy as far as just getting people to come to their channel and and get ultimately more follows. Oh yeah, for sure. And I always go back to the same thing, which is uh, if you're such a great dog trainer, then why aren't you just out there training dogs? Yeah, you end yeah. up coming to their channel. And all it is is them speaking to their camera yeah. about how horrible dog trainer X and dog trainer Y are. Yeah. You will never see on my channel me bashing another dog trainer. I'll yeah. get there's one caveat to that, which we'll talk about in a second. But <laughs> um, I, I don't I'm too busy for that. I yeah. got dogs up to my gills. I yeah. turn yeah, away yeah. more business than I can keep. Like I am out there grinding. We're working. Um, I, I'm, I'm at maximum capacity and then some meaning. But who the hell has time to, to scroll through TikTok and watch uh, dog trainers and then take your time to weigh in and then do one of those uh, duets or splicing oh, in or Jesus. whatever they do? Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Damn, man. Yeah, yeah. Like, get a life, get a job. Um, it's not wonder. Like, I get it. You know, they're they're upset. They're upset with whatever it is and, and they want to uh, blame somebody for it. And so. I guess I'm I'm kind of a bigger target, so go for it. Yeah. But what to my point though, you're never gonna see me going to another dog trainer's channel. And even if I wholeheartedly disagree with their training style, yeah. you're never ever gonna see me go in their comments and say, You suck as a dog trainer, I can do it better, because I don't know the whole backstory. Sure. And there is for sure more than one way to train anything uh, when it comes to dog training. So yeah. maybe their method mm -hmm. does work. Maybe I do have a better method. Maybe their method is uh, has some benefit to it. Sure. What you will see me do, though, you know, when I have time, if I do happen upon another channel and I do see someone who's doing excellent dog training or something that I find intriguing, you will see me commend them and say, like, what a great job, you know, and, and for whatever that's worth, uh, I'm sure they get some, um, you know, appreciation out of me coming to their channel and saying something. Um but I, I like we got to prop each other up. That sure. We've all heard the story. The only thing two trainers in the same room can agree upon is what the that the third trainer is an asshole. You know. Yeah, yeah. So, 
there's different variations of it, but you get the idea. Yeah. But anyways, we should be propping each other up. Now, the one caveat, I don't even know if I want to mention his name, but there is a so-called dog trainer on YouTube. He's the biggest one around. Uh, the only reason I make fun of him whenever, like it's not often, but maybe in, in the 600 plus videos I have on YouTube, I may have mentioned him twice, Yeah, twice, where I said, you could either do my method, which as you see works, like there's no... <laughs> It doesn't take six weeks to solve this pulling problem. I will show you yeah, yeah. in 15 minutes that we'll fix the problem right now. It can work for you. Go for it. If you don't like what I'm doing, and I'll just say his name, it doesn't matter. Head on over to Zach George's channel. He might be a better dog trainer fit for you, you yeah. know, and he'll spend six weeks struggling to fix the problem yeah, and yeah. inevitably not fixing the problem. But hey, if that's if that's your uh, cup of tea, go for it. And the only reason I, I leave him as a caveat, he's a big ass fish himself, yeah, yeah. but I genuinely don't think of him as a dog trainer. He's an entertainer. hundred <laughs> percent. So I'm yeah. not really bashing a fellow dog trainer. I'm yeah, just yeah. bash I'm I'm bashing a fake dog trainer. And I and I wholeheartedly believe in that. Now obviously he's been doing the entertaining for a while. You fake it long enough, you'll eventually get yeah halfway decent. There's some things he does, but yeah. Um, so anyways, we can all have fun making fun of each other, I guess at some point. Yeah. Fun, funny story about Zach George. So I don't know if you remember when he came out with that video, that was like my thought of balanced dog training or something like that it came out like earlier this year, last year or so, whatever. Uh, we did like a reaction video to that video on our podcast. And I actually, after we did that, I, I gained so much respect for him because he actually came on our page and commented this like really long <clears throat> excuse me, uh, reply back to the podcast that we did about him. And it was a hundred percent like non-defensive, just like breaking down kind of some of his opinions on the things that we said and stuff like that. And it was like a really respectful, like back and forth as far as, uh, you know, just a critique of each other's kind of opinions on things and stuff like that. And I'll tell you after that, I was like, you know what? I was like, this guy ain't so bad. Like you could tell, like, you know, when you get to that you know, level of fame, and especially somebody like him who, like, you know, especially from the balance training community, right? Uh, he gets so much heat from everybody, right? Everybody mm. looks at him as just kind of the laughing stock of the dog training world. Right, and I think right, even right. clients and stuff like that come in sometimes. They're like, yeah, I followed Zach George for a while, and then I found your page, and it's like, wow. You know? <laughs> um, that, that, you know, for him to be able to still just kind of keep going and stay on that, like, entertainer level and just know his kind of lane with things. that You could tell he kind of just knows his lane and where he sits in the dog yeah. training world. You know, I could have some appreciation for that for sure. A hundred percent. Yeah, I love everything you said there. And and it's not like if I met him in a room, I'd be like, I'd want to fight him or talk smack <laughs> about him. I'd go over there and shake his hand and say, man, it's incredible what you've done. Of course. You know, and still are doing. You're yeah. still relevant. You're still a huge channel. You've obviously made a very fantastic businessman, yeah, fantastic yeah. YouTuber, fantastic entertainer eh, on the dog <laughs> training. But sure. hey, yeah, yeah. people come to me all the time and say I'm a horrible dog trainer, too. So what can you do? Yeah, 100 percent. So, you know, obviously, especially with TikTok being your biggest platform, you got almost like 2 million followers and stuff on it at this point. And the fact that it was like basically an overnight success. Was that like onslaught of like bashing and stuff like that hard for you to kind of get a handle on initially? Because I mean, oh, that's a great question. That intensity, like that's got to be pretty, that's got to be pretty tough. I mean, we've got a couple of times where it's been like three or four days straight of just like comment every 10 minutes on our page. Like you are an abusive fucking piece of shit. You should go die, yeah. blah, blah, you know? <clears throat> I hear you. Um, so this is a, it's a good question. Let me tell you, um, I think Joe Rogan says it best and it's, you ba you can't read them. Yeah, yeah. You can't read them. Yeah. Gotta let it first off. So I had been grinding on YouTube for probably over two years. Yeah. Took me about two years to get to 10,000 subscribers, mm -hmm. which was a huge, 
milestone for me. Sure. But it's only 10,000. Like that's a, that's a nothing. It's a drop in the ocean type of thing. Yeah. I got my little plaque here, a hundred thousand subscribers. That was like the happiest day of my life. Oh yeah. Quiet. <laughs> I mean, it, and it took now, and it's interesting how YouTube works, but it'll take you forever to get to 10. But once sure. you get 10, like the momentum picks up and, and you can grow by leaps and bounds. Yeah. So anyhow, uh, the point is, is that I had been dealing with it for a while, just on a smaller scale. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, seeing those YouTube comments and yeah, sometimes like one, just one comment doesn't matter. You could have 50 comments about how you've absolutely transformed someone's life or, yeah. or you helped them so much, or you saved their dog from being put down. And then it just is the one comment that tells you that you're a horrible piece of shit and you should die. And that one keeps you up at night and, and gets you just ruins the rest of your day. And my, you, I wish my wife was here. You could ask her. She's like, Oh yeah, there's been those times <laughs> when Garrett's, you know, just fuming mad and upset and, now we're at a point where I, I barely can not, I have uh customer service reps that handle the comments for me yeah. because we're at 300 K on YouTube, 2 million, almost on TikTok, uh, over 200 K on Instagram. Yeah. And it's, a uh, it's just a beast, man. There's no way. The, the only thing we do now, by the way, cause these are the kind of the rules, uh, if you will, like within our company, I appreciate the, uh, communication. I appreciate the differing opinions. Mm -hmm. All I say is if it's nasty, like yeah. really, really nasty, th that person gets deleted or banned. We just yeah. don't need it. You can have uh, a disagreeing opinion yeah. and especially if they put it forth in like a really good argument. And I love to see the back and forth. Yeah, yeah. But when you just come out with just, just, just straight nasty stuff, then I, that's the easiest thing you can do. Like, so this is my tip to dog trainers who are trying to grow their channel. Um, or their social media presence. Watch this. Delete, you know. <laughs> and then someone, I've had people too, like, man, I used to follow you. Uh, I used to love your content. And, and But this video, I disagree with. Yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah. following you. Uh -huh. I, I think, I, I don't think I'll notice. In the time it took you to write that, I just had yeah. 10 more people subscribe. So yeah, yeah. I'll be all right. We'll be all right. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh you just don't need the hate, man. You, and yeah. you got to learn to just roll with it. Also, you got to remember, too, these are – there's some the, – the nastiest comments usually come from the craziest people. And what <laughs> yeah. I mean by crazy, I, I was a police officer for almost 20 years. So we got to deal with a lot of, like, legitimately mentally unstable people, right? G clinically uh, – whatever the word is, but we would call them Baker Acts. You know, people who have been Baker Acted because they're they're so mentally unstable they're at a risk to themselves or others. Yeah. These people have access to TikTok too, man. Yeah. And That's be careful. Point. Like if you try to start a war with them or you will never win the yeah. argument because they have no off switch. Yeah. Right. They, and they have no life and they're going to sit in their mama's basement and just go all night with it, bro. Yeah. You will never win. So we just let it ride. But speaking of, you know, uh, people being upset or whatever, like we just dropped a video last night. My wife texts me at like 10.30 last night. She goes, hey, you got another one. You are really <laughs> pissing people off. You might want to consider taking it down. And I'm like, I look real quick and I go, let it ride. <laughs> let it ride, baby. But yeah, it's it's going buck wild right now. I don't know if it's going to go viral, but the comments are out of control. It's It has to do with um, all I mentioned in the video. Mind you, we're talking a 30 to 60 second video. Yeah. It cannot capture the whole story. All I'm all I said in the video was 
if you're considering adopting a pit bull or oh, bully yeah, type I saw breed, that one. I knew as soon as I saw that one, that one was going to gonna get a little Woo! bit of heat. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. What I'm trying to say in so many words, and I'm not reading off a script, sure. is if you get a bad apple, that bad apple could be like really bad, meaning yeah. it literally – it can kill someone. A yeah. pit bull can ki- – they do kill people. Yeah. What they're not hearing and, – and let me rewind – I'm saying if you go to the uh, um, to the Humane Society or whatever and you adopt a Chihuahua and that Chihuahua ends up being just the nastiest son of a gun ever, it's not going to send you to the hospital. Yeah. If you adopt a Labrador, and mind you, I've seen some really nasty asshole Labradors that just, just mean sons of guns. I've never heard of a Labrador retriever killing someone. Yeah. They just, they're not physically capable of it. The worst they might do is bite you one time and let go. But pit bulls have that energy that ferocity that don't give up attitude you know people refer to as lockjaw it's really they just they just instinctually bite and hold and shake and they have the ability to kill someone or definitely a small child that's all i was saying is just if you're gonna adopt be a little careful and what they're not seeing the bigger picture which is a a video series that we're releasing is that I love pit bulls mm-hmm. and that pit bulls I think are amazing dogs. And I genuinely believe that they make fantastic family pets. And I have a 15 or 20 minute YouTube video explaining all of that. It just so happens that this video came out first. You, yeah. and, I, and when I say I have no control over it, I have a social media manager. He just puts them out. We got so much content. He just throws them out in no particular order sometimes. Yeah. And so now we have all these pit bull lovers that think I'm um, the devil, basically. But little did they know that I actually love pit bulls. Yeah. Anyways, that's just another one for you. But what can you do, you know? Yeah. The, Hide the, under a rock? <laughs> the, uh, the pit bull conversation is interesting. We did, uh, we did a podcast episode after the Tennessee incident that happened recently. And we were just kind of talking about, you know, like, because obviously that really re-sparked the whole, like, pit bulls are either the best dogs ever or they're the worst dogs ever conversation. And I really genuinely think the only thing that's the reason why this conversation is still happening is because we refuse to accept that pit bulls are still power breeds, you know? Mm. Because you look at, like, basically any power breed out there that you have, right? Your your Doberman, your German Shepherds, your Malinois, stuff like that. Like, any of those dogs, we would have no issue saying, like, this dog could kill a person, right? They're just stronger than the rest. They bite with more intensity, right? They have that tenacity behind them, like you were discussing. And, you know... Pit bulls, we try to categorize them too much as just like the perfect family dog instead of realizing that they're still a power working breed, right? And if we just classify it that way, I feel like we'll get rid of the like talking about them as specifically pit bulls and we'll just have the power breed or family breed kind of conversation at that point, you know? Yeah, I think that's a smart way to go about it. In fact, I've never heard the term power breed, but I'm going to steal that one from you because it Mm -hmm. makes perfect sense. It's exactly what it is. Yeah. Uh, Because... You know what my favorite dog is? Well, one of my favorites. It's hard to pick a favorite, but Connie Corsos, Kane Corsos, however sure. you want to call it. I, I own two personally. I love them. Yeah. I do not recommend them for 99% of folks. I just don't do it. it that is a true power breed also. Again, never used that term before, but I'm, I'm stealing it right now. I'm going to use it a lot going forward. <laughs> That's exactly what they are. Yeah. If things go wrong, yeah. they're going to go wrong really bad, really quickly. Of course. And they have the capability to do a lot of damage. Now, going back to the, cause but I even have, there's a lady was blowing up my, my Instagram, sending me personal messages, video replies, basically telling me I need to kill myself because of what I said in this video. Like she yeah. just got really, I must've struck a nerve with her. Uh, not only are her panties in a twist, but she must have hemorrhoids. And I think the lacing is chafing the hemorrhoid. <laughs> Something's going on there. Cause she is just, whoo, 
she's up in arms um, because these are the folks who have had one pit bull in their life yeah. and it ended up being the perfect dog. Sure. I, I'm sure it was. Yeah. But they don't know potentially or what they haven't seen or experienced. And it's not to brag or anything. There's nothing worth bragging about. It's just a matter of fact. I have seen more dogs bite human flesh than these people have owned dogs. Yeah. Right. As a police canine handler, a trainer, a supervisor, I have seen a lot of nasty dog bites yeah. and even the dog bites I haven't seen. What do you think dog uh, canine handlers do uh, after their dog bite? They take a picture of it and they send it to all their buddies to eh. kind of get their opinion. Like, oh, look what happened here. Yeah. And we deconstruct other dog bites. Sure. Um, and, and so uh, in first person, like being there, I, I don't know, man, probably over a hundred dog bites. Yeah. Um, photos thousands. And so when I say, cause she goes, when you said that the pit bull could rip someone's arm off, like you're grossly overstating. No, you want me to dive in and give you an exact example of what happens? It's called de-sleeving. De-sleeving. And we're going to get nasty with it because this, this is for the folks out there who think, I don't know what I'm talking about. If you've never seen a dog de-sleeve someone's arm then you haven't seen a nasty dog bite yeah and pit bulls are more than capable of doing this all your power breeds are more than capable of doing this and what de-sleeving is if you haven't figured it out dog can bite hold start ripping and tearing and ripping and tearing and as you're trying to pull your arm away it pulls your skin right off your arm yeah and and it's like something you'd see out of a horror movie it happens yeah and so i guess i guess that's what I meant by ripping your arm off or whatever. So anyhow, um, it is what it is. It's people who uh, have little to no experience or limited experience. Um, you know, I understand they're defending themselves or their their position. The problem is I'm pretty neutral on it. Mm -hmm. I love Cane Corsos. I think they're amazing. I don't think everybody should have them. Yeah. I love pit bulls. I think they're amazing. I'm just saying be a little smart where you get yours from. That's yeah. what the conversation is. Yeah. So sure. I think the dog, anyways, I'd go on and on about that. Yeah. I think the dog fighting issue can be, can be really tricky as well. Cause it's like, you know, we run obviously a, a, a training kennel, but also a boarding and daycare kennel. Right. And we have a lot of pit bulls that come in for them. And again, a lot of them are wonderful social dogs. I have two of them myself. I'm a big fan of them. We work with a gazillion and a half of them up here. Um, but there also is a big difference between how they will fight with other dogs versus other dogs will fight with other dogs. There was a, when we were talking about that same episode, I pulled up a clip from uh, from one of the old OG The Dog Whisperer episodes with Caesar, and there was this massive dog fight he had break out in the middle of one of his episodes, and there were like six pit bulls just absolutely latched onto each other. I, mean, I can't even believe they left it in the freaking episode. <laughs> Talk about controversy, right? And 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 posting things yeah. like that. Um, but but it was just crazy, and it's like you know firsthand experience of seeing a lot of this stuff i mean obviously in your case with the the human bites and stuff you know due, due to apprehension and stuff like that uh and then in our case from like a daycare standpoint and just seeing really horrible dog fights break out um you know until you've witnessed that firsthand i feel like you also don't really you just can't really grasp the true magnitude of what can happen in some of these situations correct with certain dogs. correct yeah and i think that's what folks like you and me are simply just trying to just inform you know educate um, so people make the right decision yeah. and that's all you can do. And it, we're not, not trying to create uh heat yeah. or problems for myself. I just, all you can do is, is speak from the heart and, and, um, 
just keep pushing forward. Um, what can you do, man? You can't please everyone. That's for sure. So yeah, that's when you know you're doing it right. Is when you're pissing everybody off. That's when you're speaking yeah, the truth. It's hey. true. Yeah. It's true. Um, so, so jumping back to the social media stuff for a second here. So you talked about obviously when you're creating content, like you used to spend a lot of time like going into like we're going to spend a lot of money and a lot of time on this video, and it kind of winds up flopping. And some of the just throw up there ones do better. Do you have a general strategy is that you followed as far as like you know what you think that guys like you who have exploded really quickly on those channels versus other people who kind of stay stagnant do differently? Like, is there, is there a mentality behind like the type of content you're trying to put out there or anything like that? Uh, it's a great question. I mean, I, I, I honestly, I have no idea. Yeah. Um, we, we come up with strategies, but it, there is no strategy. It's ever evolving. It's trying to stay current. It's you know what know what really helps speaking about things that you know the most about yeah right coming across as authentic and genuine because you are being authentic and genuine um, avoiding things that you don't know too much about so you don't look like an asshole um, and and probably the best one is just having fun yeah. just having fun uh, if, if you're not enjoying what you're doing then other people aren't either. Um, sometimes we do things almost as like a, a challenge to ourselves. Can we do it? Like we just did one uh, a few weeks ago, not excuse me, a few days ago, where we uh, hooked up Thanos, my my Kane Corso, yeah. to a harness and did bike work. But we were just goofing because we saw somebody do the, the. It's like the tablecloth trick. They did it with yeah. the McLaren. Yeah, yeah. And the McLaren takes off like 100 miles an hour and rips the tablecloth off. Someone said, "Hey, my it's actually my videographer. One of my videographers said, "Hey, check this one out. Do you think we could do this with dogs?" I go. <laughs> let's try and we did it and it worked and and you know you, you would think that that video would go you know just pretty super viral we, we were pretty sure it would it's done okay yeah. it's just done okay but it doesn't matter because you know what i had a lot of fun doing it yeah um and so honestly man it, it's that old gary v strategy just put the content out just put it out you never know yeah. what someone's going to find interesting um so just just do you, and that's all you can do because yeah. you can fake it, but that's only going to last for so long. Yeah. God forbid you fake something and then you make something of yourself. Well, now you got to keep up that fake persona for as long as, you know, till when. Yeah. So might as well just be as genuine as you can, um, speak from the heart. And then, yeah, also sometimes, too, we broach maybe painful topics, yeah. difficult topics, things that people don't want to talk about, um, showing corrections that people would never show, um, you know, talking about like bloat, you know, that somehow that went pretty viral for us, but that's, it's surprising how, you know, few people know about it yeah. and how dangerous it can be. Mm. And, you know, my, my police dog right here, uh, big Papa Thor, he died from bloat. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's an important topic to talk about. So yeah. that's all shit and information, man. People just gobble it up. Anything you can do to help improve someone's life, uh, with their dog or otherwise. I mean, all I can tell you about is from dog training, but yeah. people, people love that. You know, they love, uh, getting things that can really, uh, help them, uh, in life. You know, we had the last video that went pretty viral was a, a small little pit bull puppy is a Staffordshire terrier. Sorry. Um, we were talking about choking, how it's a choking hazard. You know how that video came up? Cause the little puppy 
almost choked on puppy food right in front of us. Yeah. We're just doing dog training. It happens. You've seen it. The dog just goes down the wrong pipe. This is a dog that doesn't chew their food. They just inhale it. And um, the dog actually had uh, started choking on it. And so, hey, let's do a video about choking hazards. So Very interesting. Yeah, the, the, I wish I could give you more advice, man. No, it's no, just, that's fine. Yeah. Just do you, you know, yeah, and no, don't I, overthink it. Don't overthink it. Just just do it. If it sounds like it's a good idea, go for it. If it sounds like it's a bad idea, fucking go for it. You know, <laughs> just yeah. go for it. They'll let you know. Yeah. Uh, how many people do you have on your do you have like a media team at this point? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, we've been growing, growing, growing. When we first started, um, I was it was a one man show. It was my actually I'm not I'm lying to you is my wife and I, she would hold the GoPro and we're talking, this is like three or four years ago, but it seems like 30 years ago, uh, how much we've evolved since then. GoPro, me and a dog and just doing it, nothing scripted, just ready, go. And it was a lot of like one take wonders, not a lot of editing. And actually, I think I was always proud of myself and still am that we could do a 10 or 15, maybe even a 20 minute YouTube video with no cuts. Now that's not as entertaining to watch, (laughs) but when you're watching someone train a dog for 20 minutes straight, you are completely opening yourselves up for the dog to not perform, uh, to screw up for you to make a mistake. And man, imagine, and I'll still do those. But when I say, Hey, watch this dog, that's quote, fully trained, meaning it's finishing our training program. Yeah. Let me do a showcase for you. You know how you, you know how easy it is for a dog that's perfectly trained to blow you on a recall or, or blow you on a, on just a simple sit or a down. Yeah. And, um, anyways, that's how we used to do it. So I know I talk a lot, but that's how we started. The wife and I know Mike just as, you know, just the best GoPro camera you could buy at the time. And then we just slowly started adding things like next edition. For those of you who want to go pro, get a mic. If you don't have a mic, like an on-body mic of some kind, then you're just – that right there will elevate your quality tenfold. Then hire a videographer, you know. Um, if your wife can't do it, man, you could do a tripod, you know. But, uh, yeah, my team now is it, – it's kind of grown and shrunk and grown and shrunk over time. But at one point I had, I had about – Four videographers um, who were also editors, uh, one full-time just editor, no no videography, um, a, a social media manager. Um, and so we're talking at, at its biggest, I had around six to eight people uh, just dedicated to helping me create content, edit that content, upload the content. Because once you start putting out that much content, yeah. man, just uploading it is a hassle, oh, making yeah. sure the... That hashtags are right and all of that. Um, and then we also put out uh, online courses, you know, and so that's a whole other production. So between six and eight, and I'd say now that we've kind of trimmed the fat a little bit, yeah. we're a little more sleek, a little more streamlined, and we've been doing really good with, uh, it's obviously myself. I have one full-time videographer, uh, Jeremy Arana. He's just wonderful. And I have one full-time editor, Steve. He's over in the UK. And I have one social media manager and his job is to uh, kind of basically he does everything but the filming and editing. Yet he still sometimes helps with edits, like if we're backlogged or something, yeah. or maybe Steve puts out something that's fantastic. Jeremy's going to be the one that uploads. It. I have two Jeremy. So I call one spider, the other one, Jeremy. So Jeremy, um, 
anyways, Jeremy will do that final little tweak, put the little cherry on top, you know, yeah. um, add a caption or, or change something at the last minute. And, and we've got a really good team, uh, just right there. But that's also not to mention, I have a girl named Alexandra who, uh, helps with, um, kind of the, the titles sometimes or the hashtags and making sure the description is right. Yeah. And that's not even to mention my amazing customer service team who dedicates a lot of their time just dealing with direct messages, uh, comments, et cetera. They kind of help me clean house and point people in the right directions and et cetera, et cetera. So and it depends how you want to look at it, but yeah. anywhere from four of us to like the whole team, I have about uh, 16 people on staff now between you know, social media, uh, the online platform, and the in-person dog training. I have one, two, three, four. I have four uh, full-time assistant dog trainers, and, and plus myself. Yeah, that's, that's so super it, impressive. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's an much, army, man. It's crazy how much time it, that goes into all this stuff, right? So we have a we got a, a three-person media team right now, and it's very similar. So so Josh has been with me for a long time. It's funny you were saying the the fifteen-minute straight videos of just like working with a dog like before the end of the program. So that's what this guy and I used to do, yeah. uh, like four or five years ago. Is we would go to the facility, we'd pick one of the board and trains that we're in, and we would just do a video. And I've always been a like I have twenty minutes to do this, which means that if we're filming a fifteen-minute video. We got five minutes of wiggle room right now, right? Starting time, ending time. So we would hit record and we would just fucking roll and whatever we got was going up and there was very yeah. minimal editing that went into it or anything. And yeah, man, when you get that dog that's at the end of the program, you say, this dog is super trained. It's like they look like they've never uh, done anything in their life. It's like, oh shit, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You got to then uh, yeah. spend the time explaining in the video, well, this is how the dog training process works sometimes. And no, no. It's a good yeah. learning opportunity, whatever. Um but yeah, I mean, just, I mean, you know, he does all the podcast stuff alone. We got a girl that basically follows me around every other day and films. We do a vlog series. So we'll make like a 45 to minute to hour long video every other day of our entire day of lessons and everything. And then she edits it on her off day. And then we got somebody yeah. that just handles all the other channels and just making all the freaking reels and stuff. And it is, you know, we, we just had a meeting yesterday. of like, God, like, do we need to like find another person to help like... <laughs> You know, for sure. manage where all this stuff is going at this point. It's it's wild. But it is, I tell everybody, you know, especially, you know, we work with a lot of like newer, newer dog trainers. I tell them it's the best investment I've ever made. I mean, we have a huge payroll as far as media team is concerned, but the amount of revenue that it's brought us in is just, I mean, it's it's indescribable. It's it's, it's invaluable. A hundred percent. Yeah, it, there's, it's a no brainer. If you don't have social media or if you're going to spend your money on advertising, you know, uh, traditional advertising or spend your money on, you know, hiring that videographer mm -hmm. and, and the editing and all that, that's where you spend your money on. Um, and so when we grew as big as we did, as fast as we did, we would have, especially folks from other, um, industries, you know, that say, well, how much money were you spending on ads? Zero. What are you talking about? Spending money on ads? Ah. And, and I'm lying to you. I might've spent like 10 or 20 bucks on a Facebook ad just sure. to see like, how does this work? And obviously didn't get anything out of it. And I'm like, ah, it's too much work. Who needs to do that? Um, but that's, but looking back, I was spending money on advertising just in a different way. Yeah. Hiring videographers and, and having that big team and spending a lot of money. It's not cheap, you know? Um, and, and for those of you who might be looking for a good videographer slash editor, et cetera, like the girl you said that follows you around, yeah. you know, having been through a handful myself, 
obviously you got to look at the work they do and make sure it makes sense to you because people have their own style and it's hard to just change someone's style. Mm-hmm. That's number one. But probably more important than that is do you get along with that person? Because you're going to be spending a lot of time with them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And so if they, I had a, a videographer, fantastic, fantastic videographer. However, not the kind of person that I would want to bring into a client's house. And we deal with a lot of high-end clients. Yeah, This is just the guy's a little socially awkward or, or socially inept might be the word. Like, like, why would you say that? Why would you do that? <laughs> the kind of person that would like, you're in a, somebody's home, multimillionaire, yeah, yeah. and they are raiding the person's snack closet and putting their feet up on the couch. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Like, what are you doing, bro? You can't do that. <laughs> yeah. We're in the client's home. What are you talking about, man? He can afford it. I'm like, oh, bro, you, just, you can't do that. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, and now we have a guy, uh, Spider, aka Jeremy, and just just a patient too. Yeah, it's got to be patient because <laughs> just the other day we were trying to film some little thirty second thing. Is a really great idea, bro. When I tell you we took forty takes or fifty takes of this thirty second clip, like I'm I'm underestimating it was just take after take after take. we just couldn't get it right me, meaning me i couldn't get it right yeah and um we finally got it right and that video got about two thousand views so like go fuck yourself man yeah. what a waste <laughs> <laughs> but the point is and i feel bad because my man's holding the camera and like he's getting like a back ache he's like bro yeah. but never once does he complain yeah and and you definitely need someone in who's in your corner and that understands your your pain as far as like it's not easy oh and everybody thinks it's so easy to get in front of the camera and do what you got to do uh, my assistant dog trainers they're like because my i might be struggling right maybe i'm yeah. flubbing a line or something i'm like go ahead bro step right Give in it a go. take over yeah <laughs> and it's a hot disastrous mess you know once because yeah. it's you, you when you're on the other end of that cameraman there's some kind of pressure that's sometimes put on you but yeah. Anyways, I'll go on and on. But when it comes to finding a good videographer, you can start honestly with just start somewhere. And yeah. and not everyone's going to have thousands of dollars to pay someone, um, you know, per month or whatever. So start with like a college kid. Start with, um, you know, a family friend who's just into social media. Yeah. Again, some of my most viral videos were just taken on a freaking cell phone. Yeah, that's it. You don't have to have the best in the business, just someone you get along with. And then you grow from there. Some content's better than no content. So just get it out there. Yeah. <clears throat> and then as you grow, then you can kind of add to your team and trim the fat. Yeah. The, the getting along with a person thing is so freaking huge. I mean, you know, him, obviously, I spend a lot of time with. But the girl that follows me around, I spend more time with her than any other member of our team. And we've got about, you know, 15 people at this point as well. And, I mean, it, it's she's you know if i do a 12 hour day she's with me for 12 hours you know it's it's ridiculous and yeah that being able to be around clients and stuff like she and also when you're talking you know you got all this camera equipment and stuff there's times i'm doing a one-on-one and she knows exactly when she could get in real close and go away where she doesn't interrupt the training as well i think that's a huge part of it as well so yeah it's and uh, i i i hit a home run with with my guy spider because he uh is actually uh a professional dog trainer himself. Oh, nice. He just actually prefers videography over that. So yeah. oh. it, exactly to your point, no matter what we're doing, he knows what angle to catch. He knows maybe he knows maybe when it's time to uh, hit that stop button and, uh, yeah. you know, allow us to do what we need to do. You know what I mean? 100%. So because not everything, not everything needs to be on TV either. Yeah. You know, there's just some things that are 
uh, and the reason for that too, before I leave it kind of mysterious, mm-hmm. sometimes, and it's very rarely though, but I'll, as much as I show a lot, mm-hmm. there are some things that I don't show. And the reason for that is twofold. Number one, it, it's so easy to offend people. Yes. People are very, very soft, yeah. very soft. Number two, because we're offending them or they're so soft, all I got to do is click one button and, and next thing you know, that video gets taken down or your whole channel gets taken down because someone was too soft. And then number three, and this is honestly the most important one, because I don't honestly care about offending people. It is what it is. It's that if they see uh, – and, uh, and let me see if I can explain it this way. What are we talking about maybe uh, cutting out or blurring? It will be what you could classify as an overcorrection – or, or I'll put it in other words, a horrendous correction, a monster correction. Yeah. Um, and that monster correction might take place over three seconds. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Three second clip that will either blur or, or just it's just cut out. Yeah. And we'll usually say why we do it. And it's not often. I mean, I'm thinking of like two or three videos where that's been done. And then people are all up in arms like, why didn't you show it? Obviously, you're trying to hide something, blah, 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 blah. No, what I'm actually trying to do more than anything, because, again, I don't care if I'm offending someone. I care, obviously, if my channel gets taken down. That's important to me. Mm -hmm. But the biggest thing is I don't want you as an owner to watch me deliver a correction, which took me over 20 years to figure out how to do, when to do, exactly how to turn it on, exactly how to turn it off. And you go try to recreate that in your backyard. Yeah. Because you're gonna you're gonna f it up and you're gonna f it up royally. Yeah. You're either gonna have a dog turn on you and bite you and come up the line, or you're gonna mess your dog up. And I don't want people trying to recreate that. So um, it, it's a it's very it's difficult teaching someone how to correct their dog in person. Yeah. Let alone like letting someone watch your stuff and emulate it. So that's the biggest reason. Yeah. Anyways, the uh, the the only one that you know sometimes I'll like look at my girl and and she'll you know she'll know when to kind of stop it is. For me, in addition, obviously, you know, there's certain types of corrections you just can't, you know, for the sake of it, just getting completely taken out of context, you just can't show. Um, But uh, really serious, like emotional hurdles for owners to get past. Like sometimes if things are getting really emotional for a person, um, I'll I'll sometimes I'll leave it in depending on what the context of it is. But other times it's like out of respect for that person. Like obviously dog training, so much of it is about us growing as people, right? And becoming who we need to become for our owners. And for some people, that is a difficult process. I mean, I used to joke like I basically play dog trainer slash therapist for people sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. and some of those really personal conversations we have with people as far as why they're doing the things they're doing or not doing the things that they're doing, I think out of respect for them, it's like, we kind of keep those things out as well. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So, and, and I agree with you hundred percent. Like when I, even when I do my private trainings, which I don't, I, we don't even do them anymore. Um, very, very rarely. Uh, and by private training, meaning one-off trainings, like sure. someone comes to us and spends three or four hours with us. Um, I, I lost my train of thought, but I was trying to remember when we do those private trainings, it, it's, and this is what I was trying to say. I tell them all the time, like when you come over for a three or four hour private training, and we're not cheap. We charge a thousand dollars for those. Yeah. I'm not training your dog. I'm not, we're going to train it a little bit. I'm training you so that when you go home and you spend the rest of your 10 years, 12 years with that dog. You know what to do. That's why we charge so much. Yeah. But that's why this is effective uh, because this is what's going to work. We're not changing the dog in three or four hours. It's not going to happen. Yes, we're going to put a lot of work in. Yes, 
we're going to, we're going to work that dog. And by the time I'm done training it, your leash reactivity will be gone yep. with me at my home in our setting. But as soon as you go back home, that dog's going to be exactly how it was before you came here. But that's okay because I've now shown you what you need to do to carry the torch and fix it on your own terms. And a lot of people don't understand that. Yep. In fact, I have something to share with you that I think y- you and your fans and everybody needs to hear this. If, if you have a minute, I'll pull it up Yeah. in the same conversation. <clears throat> this is the favorite, <clears throat> my favorite message that I've ever received. Because I'm going to use this going forward almost every day for the rest of my dog training career. Someone messaged me on Instagram about a week ago, so it's still very fresh. I'm not going to say her name. Uh, I could say her first name. I, I don't know who she is. We get messaged 100 messages a day uh, from, from folks. And this young lady, or I, I don't know if she's young or what, but this woman messaged me and said, I see that you're a dog trainer. And this is probably an odd question. I sent my dog to a local trainer and paid $5,000 for his training. He came back great for the first two weeks, then went right back to where he was. I told the lady, meaning the lady trainer, I told the trainer and we came in for a refresher and she walked me through what to do. It did not help. So I contacted her again and she told me that the dog and my personality just don't mesh and he'll never (laughs) behave for me. Is that a correct statement? I believe if my dog is trained properly, then he should listen to me no matter what. And so what is your all's take on that? <laughs> you want my, my take on that? Yeah. Well, so so I have a lot of a lot of opinions on that just due to the fact that I talk about this a lot as far as the and this was gonna be one of my next topics I wanted to bring up anyway, so perfect segue here. So I think the modern day board and train is really doing a huge disservice to people right now. And a couple reasons for that, right? One, I think the way that they're being marketed by a lot of people as they're being marketed as the quick fix, right? You could either do one-on-one classes and spend a lot of work working with your dog or a lot of time working with your dog and get the results you want, or you could send your dog to the board and train and they can come back and they'll be trained, right? And I think that's the false way of looking at things because of the fact that we know dog training isn't this thing that you put on a dog and then they're a trained dog and they listen. If that were the case, I would be able to give you one of my dogs and they would just listen to you no matter what. But if I gave you one of my dogs with no instruction, like my Malinois, if I gave you my Malinois, you'd call me in two hours and tell me to pick this dog up because it is an absolute psycho and probably should be put down, (laughs) right? You know this obviously being, you know, in the canine field, right? Um, dog training is a communication system that we establish with dogs, right? It's the ability to tell them yes and no in a way they understand. It's ability to communicate things that we want them to do or don't want them to do. Um, and until you understand the language that your dog now understands, they're never going to listen to you, right? I tell everybody when our board and trains go home, right? Expect for that first week that they're back home, everything that they used to do for you, they are going to try to do again, right? They have associations with the house. They have associations with you. uh, And it's going to take you some time, obviously, in order to work through that. But you have the communication system at your disposal to be able to work through those things as they come up. But you have to expect that pushback. So this person probably went to one of those board and trains. We see it all the time. They'll do a four-week board and train, a five-week board and train. Or the, the one that kills me is when I see people do one- and two-week board and trains. I just don't know what you can accomplish in one or two weeks. Mm. Right? No, I agree with you on that. Um, but they'll send them to these one- and two-week board and train programs, and then they'll have literally two hours of training at the end of it. And then if you need more no, after that, it's like – You're being know. very generous. <laughs> you're talking – it's more like 30 minutes is what yeah. I'm hearing. 
Yeah, it, it's it's ridiculous though, and it's like if you need help after that, it's like well, you're kind of shit out of luck, right? Uh, I tell everybody like you should prepare for like we offer a year of follow up training with our board and train programs, which are typically speaking about a once a month tune up session for you to come in for. Uh, and I usually tell everybody you should expect to come in for at least seven to ten hours of training post uh, board and train program if you really want wow. the long term results that you should uh, you know be striving for ultimately with things so I look at that and I look at just the 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 dog was trained right and the dog listened for a little bit and then realized that the accountability wasn't there the reward and the reinforcement behind the behavior wasn't there and then it slipped off and just no amount of education was giving to the owner to know how to maintain the stuff yep 100% so everything you said I agree with 110% um, and I would just, I think the only thing that I would do is add just a touch more to it. And you're saying, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it's important to teach the owners how to, you know, you're saying it, the communication is key a hundred percent. For sure. If you don't know uh, the verbal commands, like let's say you're Malinois trained in, in Dutch or German, obviously you're not going to be able to get the dog to listen unless you you've learned those commands, but there's more to it. The visual commands, right? One of the ones I always tell people, sure. you have, I'm sure you've seen it. They're holding the piece of treat up like this as if it was a sit position yeah. and they're telling the dog to down yeah, yeah. and they don't understand why the dog's not downing. I'm like, well, because you're telling it to sit right now. Mm-hmm. And that's just one little silly example. But it's beyond the communication for me. It's the follow through, the consistency and the ability to correct the dog. Yeah. And, and we have to get the people over that hump. Yeah. When I tell people this too, with 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 this per- particular example, a hundred percent, you you see it here. It's a it's a catastrophe. We came in for a refresher, and she walked me through what to do. Yeah, girl, she should have told you what to do before you ever took the dog home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. And so we do extremely intensive one on one trainings with our clients before they take the dog home, and I feel like that's what sets us apart from the rest. Yeah. Um, and that's why we have uh, a very high success rate. Uh, we offer a lifetime guarantee on the performance of the dog, yeah. but with a huge caveat. If you follow through yeah. with the instructions we provide you mm-hmm. and um, your fellow dog, tra- I'm sure you have a lot of mm-hmm. dog trainers that listen to your podcast, too. I, I don't know if you're if you're if your subscribers are more uh, dog owners or dog trainers or a little healthy mix of both. Yeah, but it's good balance. Yeah. And so here's here's the key to success. Um <clears throat> I don't care how well-trained a dog is. It could be the most well-trained dog on the planet. My my dog, Thanos, is pretty Mm well-trained. He doesn't listen to anybody. He listens to me. Perfect. But he's also very smart. So this is the example I give. And I love this example. And this helps kind of change. I tell this example every time. First off, now I bring up Miss Adriana. And I let everyone, I said, don't be like Adriana. Don't do it. And the next example I give is thus. You could have 30 kids, high school kids, and they're in the first period class. All 30 kids are on their absolute best behavior. They turn in their homework. They sit there politely. They listen. Everything's just wonderful. The nicest kids you'll ever meet. The teacher is a former Marine uh, Corps drill sergeant. He's firm, but he's fair. They respect him, and they, they these kids are on point. The bell rings. The kids get up, they go to the next class, same 30 kids, except the next class is not to pick on anyone specifically, but is an art teacher, hippie type, smokes a lot of pot and just lets everything ride, baby. It's all good. (laughs) Those same 30 kids are acting like a bunch of fucking assholes. Same kids, same high school, 
different teacher. 100%. So I always tell my clients, do you want to, if you want your dog to act like a soldier, then you have to be, you have to be a drill sergeant to some extent. I'm not saying be mean, yeah. just be firm, fair, consistent. If you act like Krusty the Clown, your dog's going to think it's a fucking circus. Yeah. And so, you know, maybe the truth is somewhere in the middle, but I love that example. Yeah. And then it goes even further because I bet you if the drill sergeant didn't show up to class, let's say on a Wednesday, he had to call out sick and a substitute teacher came in. I bet you the kids are still on point. They might slip up a little, but they're going to be on pretty good point because that whole environment is charged up with good behavior. Yeah. This is what God forbid. Yeah. What was that? I would just say that's what that place resembles. It's like the training that's facility. Right. You take your dog to the training facility, and as soon as they get in before they even see the trainer, they're on their P's and Q's. Ah, they're sharp. That's right. And yeah. so we have to express to our owners, whether it's the dog trainers listening to us now or the dog owners out there, like you need to set some rules and boundaries and structure and discipline. Yeah. And it sounds like, oh, my God, it's depressing. and My dog will not ever be a, uh, a dog that can have fun. and exp No, on the contrary, yeah. the more rules you have, the better well-behaved your dog is, the more doors uh, open up for them to, to enjoy themselves and go places with you and be free, et cetera. Yeah, and then to, to spin that more towards the dog owners, right? So, so two things. One, so, so when I say communication, right, creating the communication system, I mean the ability to give and enforce commands, however that may be. So it kind of encompasses... Wow all of that into one, right? We have to know, yes, what are the actual commands, obviously, right? What are the visual cues we're using, whatever they may be, but how do I back up this command if the dog doesn't do it or reinforce it if they do do it, right? So all of that is one. But we have a lot of people that'll call us, and I'm sure you do as well, that say, you know, you know, especially when you post some of the videos you do of the dogs, really precise, right? Off leash healing, great downstay, stuff like that. They go, well, I don't want to turn my dog into a robot, right? And you know, obviously that's a normal thing. They don't want to change the dog's personality and not everybody wants that picture perfect like obedience training like that, right? And I was, you know, people get concerned when they send their dog to the board and train that that dog is just going to be like that. And I always say like once you understand the communication, right, you understand the ability to give and enforce commands, it's up to you where and when you implement it. Because if you want your dog free, you know, 75% of the time doing whatever they want to do, as long as you know how to enforce the things you need them to do when you need them to do them, it's not typically going to be that big of a deal. And you could kind of then cater that program more towards your individual lifestyle, obviously with a couple of expect, you know, exceptions of like, you know, if your dog's resource guarding the couch, you probably can't have them just on the couch all the time in situations right. like that. But, you know, once you understand the communication, you have more flexibility behind what, you know, where and when you ask your dog to do things in the first place. A hundred percent. Um, I, I agree with you 110%, man. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Um, yeah. A lot of people, and, and, oh, sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, I was going to say just like my favorite comments on, on videos are when people are just saying, Oh, you're putting, you're restricting the dog from being able to be free and be this dog. And I'm like, my, my dog has more freedom than your untrained dog will ever have in its entire life. Yeah. You know? It's like, true. There's so many more things that my dog is abundantly able to do where yours is, oh, you have to leave the dog at home because you can't fucking take it anywhere, you know? <laughs> Correct. Yep. Correct. Yeah. I mean, we can go on and on with these, these examples, mm -hmm. but... Um, yeah. You know, oftentimes what I tell people, too, is even when the training is complete, which I don't think there's ever such a thing as a dog fully trained. It just doesn't exist. They're, they're constantly, I call it, they're updating their software every day, mm -hmm. every command, every rep. And you can take a, quote, fully trained dog 
can very easily overwrite that software and untrain it. That's what happened with our girl, Adriana. That dog was reprogrammed. I don't need to listen to your voice. It doesn't mean anything. You can't enforce the rules. When you tell me to recall, I actually have a choice in the matter. I can listen to you, uh, but I'd rather not, and so I won't. And and we Mm -hmm. often tell people this too. Dogs are not robots. No matter how well you train them, um, they, they make a conscious decision whether to listen to you or not every single time you give them a command. Yeah. We try to tap into that subconscious, if you will, and basically turn off the option to not listen. Like that's a style of training, if you will, or, or, or just a, a theory behind it. But once the dog understands, I usually draw this on a board for the clients and it makes a lot of sense to them. Every time you tell your dog to do something, they come to a crossroads. We want the dog to always make a right because that's the right decision. That's the way we want them to go. What could that be? That could be a recall. So your dog's out there maybe chasing another dog or a bunny or a rabbit. And we say, Fido, here. And the dog hears you. And it's it's making a conscious decision like, "Mm, if I go right, what are the chances that mom or dad has a treat for me? You know, what's in it for me? Because dogs are very selfish creatures. (laughs) But what what if I go left? I get to chase the bunny. I might catch the bunny. This is, sounds like a good time. Let me see what happens if I go left. Oh, nothing happens. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Oh, and I chase the bunny. Got it. So now when mom calls me, I can go left or right. And I'll make the decision when the time comes, whether to listen or not. Yeah. At some point, we as trainers and our owners have to instill, and it takes time you know, to shape those behaviors, but we let them know like, you just can't go left. It's closed detour barbed wire i put a six foot wall up uh there's also a fence behind that um there's broken glass on the ground and thorny bushes it is impassable you can't go left you can try to go left every time you try to go left you're just going to be met with an uncomfortable scenario and so then we we help the dog make the right decision which is to always go right and then we often say too because people are like well and i can't stand this question how quickly can i take the equipment off yeah (laughs) well I don't know. The faster you take the equipment off, uh, the faster you open access to the left. And so that's what happened with Adriana's dog. It had been conditioned to go right. Always go right. Except something came about and the dog kind of, let me see if I go down the left path just a little bit and see what happens. And it took one step, two step. Aha, it found a way down the left path. And now the more it goes down the left path, the more it's cleared out. And now the dog understands that once again, I can go left or right whenever I want. And so anyways, uh, we provide a 30 day prescription to our clients when they go home for 30 days, your dog must be wearing one tool or another or both. If it's not resting in the crate, because it's not, if the dog's not going to listen to you, it's when it's, it could be five minutes after I, it could be 30 seconds after I walk out your door, your dog starts acting foolish. Yeah. And it's that exact moment that you need to be able to let the dog know and know in certain terms that, hey, if I tell you to down, baby, you got to do it. And if you do it, there's a very high chance that I will pet you, praise you, love you, feed you. Yeah. A lot of good things happen when you listen to me. But there's a damn guarantee. There is a guarantee that if you don't listen to me, pressure comes on hot and heavy. Yeah. So I think a lot of people don't realize also that like us as dog trainers, we still use our equipment. 
You know, like I put e-collars on my dogs still. Not all the time. Like I don't need them in order for them to listen. But like if we're going to public, right, and we're going off leash at the park to go run and chase the ball or any of those types of things, nine out of ten times, we're going to put the e-collar on our dogs still because that is a part of the communication system and the ability to give and enforce commands, right? And if you are going to at some point need to give or enforce a command when you're out in public or somewhere like that, you want to make sure that you're in a position to enforce it so the dog doesn't learn they could take three steps down the left road. You know, that's right. A hundred percent. And so I'm the same. My dog's again, fully trained. Yep. I don't leave the house without a prong yep. and an e-collar on a hundred percent. Now, how often do I use the prong and e-collar? Rarely. If he's worn it every day for the last 30 days, which is a guarantee. Yeah. I don't think I've stemmed him once in 30 days. Mm-hmm. It's there. Should I need it? Yep. It's my little seatbelt. It's my backup plan. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is what it is. But then let's give you another example. When I had to use it about two or three months ago, once again, we're outside, we're off leash. This is in my neighborhood. We're just hanging out. And Thanos has crazy, crazy prey drive, man. He's just, it's, it's up there. And he saw a cat, like the neighbor's cat. And that boy is just, we're talking thousands of years of, of instinct kicking in saying, must kill cat. Yeah, yeah. He went after the cat and I wasn't shook at all. He's running full speed after this thing. I recalled him. He, he either had auditory occlusion or he, he said, I'm going for it, dad. <laughs> hey, you can go for it. That's not my problem. That's your problem. Pressure came on hot and heavy and, and he paid the price and he came right back to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, got him, you know, and that's a, it, it was not set up. I got caught a little bit with my pants down. Not really. I mean, meaning I didn't know the cat was there, but I'm never going to know every cat under every car. Yeah. It happened. And that's one more rep pushing us in the right direction 100%. so much so that I bet if the very next day he saw the same cat and decided to chase after it mm-hmm. and I recalled him, I would bet you a lot of money he would turn and come back. Yep. And even if he didn't, I can guarantee you he would have come back because I got the, I got the training wheel still installed. You know what I mean? I got, I got my fallback plan yeah. and that's what the tools are there for. Um, at some point they're just there. Should you need them? Yeah. You know, I, I sell people this too. Like, <clears throat> just because you've learned how to drive your car, right? You, you, now you're a pro driver. You got your license. Um, is that when you take the steering wheel and the brakes off your car? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you still need it. Yeah, a hundred percent. So, so on the topic of board and trains. So, I think I was looking at your website, and and so, so correct me if I'm wrong, but so your six week board and train is twenty thousand dollars. Is that correct? Hundred percent. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So obviously that is going to cater to a certain type of client. Right. Like naturally, you know, what part of Florida are you in? Are you near Miami? Yeah, we're about 30 minutes from Miami. We're closer to Fort Lauderdale. Okay. So, so obviously you're going to be dealing with a much, you know, uh, 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 higher net worth individual, if you will. Right. You know, typically speaking right. with your training, how have you found it has been transitioning to dealing with clients like that? And what sort of differences do you, or what sort of things do you need to be aware of when you're working with a client of that kind of caliber? Because I know, you know, we have obviously our major sports teams here in Cleveland and stuff like that. And I've worked with a decent amount of like the Browns players and the Cavs players and stuff like that. And I used to joke that in a lot of cases, like the the clients that had more money like that typically were were. <laughs> Yeah, I used to joke like the worst to deal with because it was just expendable income. They can kind of throw at the dog. And a lot of them had such busy schedules and stuff like that, that they were very, very not interested in doing a whole lot of work once those dogs went home. Yeah. So luckily we're at a position uh, where not only do we attract high end clientele that can afford our rates, 
but we can also be selective on what clients we take on. Ah, that's a good point. And just as much as when we do a sales call, and yeah. I hate to even say sales call, that's what I'm putting in quotes. Sure. I'm not trying to sell you anything. Not now in this podcast, nor when someone calls me to inquire about our training program, I'm not selling you anything. Yeah. I'm simply explaining to you what we do, finding a little bit out about you and your dog and what your hopes and dreams are, tell you exactly what we do in our training, like is the best that I can. Typically, my sales calls, again, uh, I, again, I hate saying that, but um, we'll, we'll take anywhere from minimum 30 minutes to an hour of just me blabbing at the mouth, explaining, answering any and all questions that they have. Yeah. And oftentimes, it, it requires a second and a third call to you know, answer all the questions that the wife had and everything before they pulled the trigger on something like that. Yeah. And I'm more than happy to spend that type of time because that's what we get paid for here. We are like a um, white glove type service, if you will. Yeah. Um, and again, the point of what I was saying is I'm not trying to sell them on anything or hook them on anything. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that when I explain to them what we do in our program, they either – you know, are a hundred percent on board or it's not for them, whether it's the price or our style of training. Yep. Uh, I make it very abundantly clear. We do use prong collars. We do use e-collars. Your dog will go home with a prong collar and e-collar and you will have to do the homework and the work to make it stick. Otherwise your dogs, you're going to be like Adriana. Right. And so, um, that being said, not only are they interviewing me on this sales call, yeah. I'm making sure you're they're the right client mind. for me. Because if they're not, then it, I, I will tell them this is not a good fit. Yeah. We're not a good fit. And I tell them that up front too. Uh, not always because it kind of depends, but oftentimes I will tell them um, just as much as you're trying to see if, you're, you're right, if we're right for you, I'm trying to see if you're right for us. And so I just had one of these just a few days ago. This isn't even a high-end client. This is just a woman that's absolutely desperate to get her dog fixed and she's this is her baby. It's a 10-month-old Dogo Argentino, fully intact, and she's been taking it to dog parks since early on. And you can imagine, you know, what do you think the problem that that dog has? Yeah, it's having some uh, some dog aggression issues, I'm assuming. <laughs> you, you got it. And so now we have a fully intact, full of testosterone, coming around, coming of age, badass Dogo Argentino. Here we go with your, your term that I get to use now, power, power breed. breed. There we go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and he's got some dog aggression. He's been attacked three times, and the fourth fight was he instigated. So now he's attacked another dog. Yeah. And I got to ask myself, I'm like, Lord have mercy. Is the money worth it? Yeah. Do I need to bring a dog aggressive dog into my home around my family and my children? Because that's how we train here in a home environment. Mm -hmm. And do I need this dog potentially, you know, hurting one of my children or attacking one of my other clients' dogs? And I said, man, is this even worth it? Because I and I told her like this just on the phone. It's probably the rudest thing anyone's ever said to her. But I just speak from the heart. I'm like, I'm genuinely thinking now if if it's worth it. I don't I, I understand. And I told her this is the part I'm talking about. Understand. I don't need to take your dog in. I could probably have some kind of poodle doodle or oodle take that spot. And I don't even have to worry about it. So let me think on it and I'll get back to you tomorrow. And it wasn't about being rude. I'm just speaking the truth. Yeah. Like. Then it came down to like, well, who else is going to train this dog for her? Yeah. Who else can do it? And I'm not saying there's not other people that can do it. Of course there are. But I don't know who it is in her area that could do it. And, and then anyways, ultimately, I said, look, let's make it happen. Oh, but this, was the, this, is, this is what made me realize, though. This is what made me 
accept her as a client. I said, do me a favor because there's different like degrees of dog aggression. Yeah. Take your dog outside and I want you to film what it is he's doing. Man, this girl had those videos to me like within an hour. Yeah. And so that to me showed like the dedication like that, that she's on it. I've had, I've, I've asked clients to do that before and like, it's been a week and they still haven't filmed anything and I'll get around to it. And that's fine. Like, but that just shows me, you know, you're not in it to win it. Um, and she's a strong girl. And that's the other thing I'm looking at. Could, could you even physically control this dog if you had to? And she's actually like a trucker. She's a truck driver. So she's a tough gal. Anyways, I said, let's do it. Let's go for it. And, and God help me, you know, cause this is a lot of dog. Yeah. I have no concerns that I'll be able to train that little booger. Yeah. I'm gonna have his ass straight within the first day. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, he ain't going to be perfect in the first day, but I will be very confident walking him yeah. wherever I need to take him within the first day or two. I just keep going back to, will this dog listen for her? Yeah. Will she be able to enforce the rules? Will this dog look to her as the first period teacher, former drill sergeant, or does this dog think she's a joke? Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, time will tell if we made the right decision there or not, because it's my reputation on the line. It's her money. I don't want her to waste her money yeah. on, um, on me or anybody else. I take my, my, uh, my job very seriously and I respect, uh, you know, when people choose us, it's, it's, it never gets easier. And what I mean by that is like, the halfway trainings and the take-home trainings that we do. Yeah. I'm never like, I never go into a take-home training. Like I go in like stress to the max. Yeah. Will the dog perform? Will the owners perform? Will everything go according to plan? You know? And it's, it's, there's honestly no better feeling though. When you finish that take-home training and everything goes, you know, as good as it could, dare I say perfect. Yeah. And you're like, man, you know, one done another 500 to go, you know? And, uh, and even then you're still kind of sitting there waiting for that late night phone call or that early morning, morning phone call. Oh yeah. (laughs) How did that first walk go? Yeah. yeah. And Mm -hmm. I tell them this and I tell them all the time, nothing like, Hey, leave me a review. Thank you. Yeah. I've had people, I'm going to tell you a story if we have time for it, they, they will blow your mind. Um, but I had a guy once pay me, I've charged a lot. I, I don't hide that. Yeah. This guy paid me extra months later after the training. He sends me a check for 5K. Yeah. Five or 10. It was a lot of money. And I'm like, with that beautiful handwritten note, mm-hmm. maybe four to six months after the training. And I call the guy. I'm like, um, mind you, this was a take-home training that went horrible. <laughs> the worst take-home training I've ever had. Like I felt like I felt like quitting as a dog trainer. This is how bad this thing went. I felt like a failure. It was rough. This guy ends up sending me a $5,000 bonus check. It's not to brag or anything. It's just, it, sure. I'm, I'm, I was just as confused. And I call him and he says, Garrett, this dog is amazing. It yeah. took me days and weeks and now months to realize just how much work you put into him. Yeah. Um, and, and anyways, what I tell those clients, I don't, don't send me checks. That's not what I'm asking you to do. My favorite thing is, when three months, six months, a year, two years down the road, yeah. they send me that 30 second video of them and their dog off leash healing, yeah. like in the park somewhere. And like, it melts my heart. I'm like, Oh my God. Like that's what I live for. Yeah. You know? So yeah, some people, and it's so funny too. Cause like anytime you do get those text messages from people, at least for me, um, you know, I'll get one, you know, same deal six months later, we got one, uh, just yesterday from, from three years prior lady tags and something on Instagram. And, uh, they always say, 
so sorry to be bugging you right now. It's like, you're not bugging me. Like, that's the best thing you could, that's the best, Jesus Christ, that's the best thing that I could wake up to in the world is you yeah. sending me a message like that, you know? Yeah, yeah. And also, too, even if it's um, the opposite, hey, I'm having this problem with my dog, I yeah. tell them, don't wait. If there's an issue that pops up, don't let it just get worse and worse yeah. and worse. You need to call me immediately uh, so we 100%. can jump on it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, whether I walk you through it over the phone, I, I, I send you a video of how to fix it, or I come over there, or you come over here, we're gonna get that fixed. Yeah, and don't um, be embarrassed. Like like some people, especially like when you get into a year later, a year and a half later, some people like feel bad or embarrassed contacting, like, hey, like I'm having this big problem right now. Like I don't know how to work through it, right? And I always yeah. tell everybody, right, even though you know we provide you know, it's funny. I was going to bring up the topic of, you know, like guaranteeing training this, that, and, and you hit it on the head as far as like, we'll, you know, we provide a year of follow-up support of like, regardless of if you're putting in the work or not, like we'll still get you in for those follow-up sessions to help you obviously. But long-term, like, you know, we're here to help you forever. And there's such a problem in the dog world, uh, especially people charging lots and lots of money where people find themselves like going to one trainer, then needing to go to another trainer, then needing to go to another trainer. It's like, once you've signed up and committed to us, right? Like you're in the family more or less, right? Like you're, 100%, we're yeah. here for you forever where if you ever right. have a problem with something i want to know i'm the first person that you you reach out to about that kind of stuff you know you don't have yep. to go and spend two thousand dollars on some other joe schmo's board and train follow-up program to get your training back under control because you've already made that commitment to us and we've made that commitment yep. to you you know 100 percent. yeah and and there's no greater uh compliment than this either is referrals and also when people end up getting that second dog and that third dog and yeah, they send their great. dog to you 100%. and my like, man you know that's great and um you know and i think it i i tend to talk in circles if you haven't noticed but you had asked about the high-end clients if we find that they're yeah. more difficult to work with and honestly no no i, I don't find that um well, I think like you said, the ability to vet them is something I didn't even think of. Because again, you know, we're in Cleveland. Like we have a decent amount of like high profile people, obviously, but not like a ridiculous abundance of them where there's a market for just that necessarily in the dog training industry. Right. right? So so it's not like we could be as selective of the ones when they come through. Where like pet dog clients, like we have same deal out the wazoo. We have, you know, a, a, typically a two month wait list for all of our programs at any given time. It's like if, if somebody calls me, there's plenty of people on the phone with them where I'm just like, yeah, no, we're not a good fit for you. Right. Like we could yeah. do that and know how to do that ahead of time. Where if, you know, again, freaking Baker Mayfield calls me up and says, yo, I want to train. <laughs> I want you to train the dog. It's like, yeah, well, I'll, I'll train your dog, dude. Right. So so that makes sense and completely how you could avoid any sort of problems with that. Right. And and again, to what I'm telling you is very rare. It's not like. Yeah. First off, it, it's few and far between the folks that can afford our training. Sure. Um, so that that. Man, that, that kills about 99% of anybody that would – we try to make our prices very abundantly clear. That's literally to make the phone stop ringing. Yeah. Um, I, I, when I had my first video go viral, one of my, one of my first videos, we had over 300,000 people hit our website in yeah. three days. Ooh. Those 300,000 people all had access to my phone number, and Lord have mercy, did yeah. every one of them call me, you know? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I want my dog trained, and I want my dog trained. And they have uh, – there's a saying, and I'm going to screw it up, but it's like – um, help me out with this. It's like a dadism. I'm gonna screw it up, but they have like caviar dreams on like a peanut butter and jelly oh, uh, yeah, budget. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? I know, I know what's exactly that, what, what you're talking about. I don't know what the saying is, but yeah, like, you know yeah, what expensive I mean. Though, taste, but, yeah, but not a lot of money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so sometimes people literally like choke on their food. Yeah, yeah. It sounds cool. You know how how much is it? And and I let <laughs> yeah. them know, and they go, <coughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, sorry, you know, we might not be for you. So yeah, um. 
but it's few and far between we because we, we still go with uh the motto all ages all breeds yeah. all issues because again it's not the dog i'm worried about no. yeah. it's the owner yeah will the owner be able to handle it going forward and uh as long as i have a good you know i i feel a good like we're on the same kind of wavelength and, and things are flowing nice sure. then we go for it and and that's most of the time we very rarely turn people away uh for that reason yeah but, and we have two, and, and don't limit yourself, you know. I, I, I have a f- handful of dog trainers that I mentor and coach uh, to improve their business and improve their dog handling skills and all that, as well as I have uh, mentors that I reach out to um, when I run into a problem or something. Mm-hmm. And um, I always hear the same thing, too, for those dog trainers out there who, who maybe aren't or maybe struggling to, to get those, quote, high-end clients. I always hear the same thing. Well, where I live, there's just not the the market for it. People can't afford that. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Well, where are you? You know exactly. Sure. And what ends up happening though is because there's the West Coast of Florida, right? And yeah. I'm just going to give you one example. A very good friend of mine uh, is on the West Coast. He's a dog trainer, current police canine handler. And he's like, man, you know, Garrett, I see the prices you're off, you're, you're, you're charging, but man, I, I could never do that here. I go, why not? He goes, they just can't afford it here. Bro, remember the example I gave you of the guy that paid premium top dollar and then gave me a $5,000 bonus? Yeah. That guy lived less than a mile from my friend. Yeah. I'm like, you know, he traveled from the West Coast of Florida to the East Coast for me to train the dog. Yeah. Now we have dogs getting shipped to us and flown to us from uh, Michigan, um, New Jersey, that Dogo Argentino's in New Jersey. Yeah. Um, California, uh, we just brought, uh, took a dog back, California, um, uh, Connecticut from all over now with, yeah. with they're coming to us. And so we're blessed, man. And, but we, we, ha- we run just a slightly different program. Uh, basically we, we do quality over quantity is what yeah. we push for. So, and it's not to, um, bash or downgrade, uh, cause I have a very good friend of mine who, who turns a 30 to 50 dogs a month, yeah. banging them out. Wow. Mm-hmm. And good for him. Thank God there's people like him that are able to offer amazing training at a more affordable price to handle, uh, all the folks that need it, you know? Um, and that's the other thing too, is I don't ever see why dog trainers need to be cutthroat because Lord have mercy. There's, there's so many dogs out there that need training and so many owners that need help. There's no need to, uh, you know, screw each other over in the process. Yeah. hundred percent. Having a dog in America is like American pie, you know? (laughs) Like a, For an sure, apple yeah. pie, an apple pie. Like everybody's got a dog, pretty much. So, yeah. yeah. And speaking of it, here comes Christmas. I'm sure there's going to be a <laughs> a big flood of, of more puppies coming in. You know, that's more yeah. clients. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so I want to segue into uh, some of your time as a canine handler. So you did that for um, 20 years, you said. Um, so I was reading your biography the other day, and it was saying you did that for a while, and then you had some disagreements with. Um, I believe like your chief or the head trainer or whatever it was and wound up mm-hmm. kind of pushed out more or less. So I, you know, obviously never was involved in canine handling or anything like that, but I used to do protection sports with my dogs. That's kind of how I started getting into all of this. And, you know, a lot of times in the protection dog world of dog training, um, there's kind of the saying of like, you know, cop training. And a lot of times for police dogs is like, it was looked at as like the lower tier version of like a lot of the protection sports and stuff out there. And I think a lot of that was because of just kind of limiting 
knowledge as far as, you know, they have kind of like an old school way of doing things. And, and this is where I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, obviously. Um, and didn't really seek to better that knowledge a whole lot past like the standard of what police canine training was. And I just want to kind of get your input as far as like when that disagreement started taking place, was it you were trying to kind of evolve the training program and it was just like, no, this is where it is and this is what we do. Or what was that kind of all about? Yeah, it, it's I didn't know where you're going with that. And it sounds like this is scripted or something, but uh, you couldn't have uh, hit the nail on the head uh, any any better. Um, I grew up and I'll just give you a little backstory and then we'll talk about leading up to the point that I literally get kicked out of the canine. Union. Yeah, not like a disagreement. I'm talking kicked out yeah. like the lowest point in my life type of situation. So it started with my father was a police canine handler since 1981. I was born in 83. So when I, I tell people I literally grew up in a house with police dogs my entire life, he spent 28 years with the city of Miami police canine unit. And this is through the 80s. We're talking about the Mariel boat lift. This is when city of Miami was one of the most dangerous places um, on the street, man, just murders every night and just crazy town. Yeah. Um, so when I turned, uh, I mean, there's all these little pivotal moments in my life it all evolved around police dogs. It just was like my life because it was my father's life. And as it's so often stated, especially in the police canine world, it's not a career. It's a lifestyle yeah. because if you're a motor unit or a mounted patrol unit, meaning you're on either a motorcycle or a horse, when you check out at the end of the day, like your horse is put in the stables and your motorcycles left wherever and you come home and you live a regular life. When you're a police canine handler like that dog, you spend every waking moment of your life with that dog yeah. and you form a very tight bond. So anyhow, um, this is what I grew up with. My neighbor got bit when we were playing hide and seek eight, nine, 10 years old. It got bit by the police dog. Why? Because we're playing hide and seek and the dogs might sees my friend hiding in the bushes and bit his ass. You know, these are the things we dealt with. Uh, I saw nasty dog fights when my dad was phasing out his older dog to get a new dog. Uh, instead of the typical family vacation, we'd go to police canine competitions all across Florida and, and the U.S. because my dad would compete in them. Yeah. And so I just grew up with that. Uh, my favorite thing we used to do, too, there was something called the Pig Bowl when we were younger. The Pig Bowl was uh, the county, Miami-Dade County, which is a big agency. And the city of Miami, um, they're kind of always kind of like, who's the best? And so they would do uh, a big football game. Um, and those were great to watch, but I didn't care about the football. What I cared about was the halftime show and the halftime show involved SWAT and canine and the helicopter coming in and rappelling with the dog and oh, yeah. the dogs were always involved. And I just, I just ate it up. Mm -hmm. So then, uh, just here's some milestones. When I was around eight years old, my father took me with him to work, like take your kid to work day type thing. And part of the thing he had to do on that particular day was, uh, do a little show and tell for some kindergarten class. And so he's doing the show and tell with the police dog. And typically we, they go in pairs. In this case, his partner didn't show up that day, but he wanted my dad's not too dissimilar than me, or I should say I'm not too dissimilar from him. We always like to put on a good show. And so he wanted to show these kindergartners what the dog could do. And we're talking about a 90 pound, you know, badass German shepherd. He says, man, um, I remember it clear as day. He goes, man, the other guy didn't show up. Garrett, do you mind putting the sleeve on and go hide in the bushes? You know, and it was, uh, I think it was Pharaoh was the dog. Yeah. This is a dog with a lot of street bites. Uh, he'll come in and bite you. I'm like, what are you talking about, dad? Like, I'm terrified. I'm not going to do that. Yeah. And I didn't say it like that, but I'm thinking to myself, like, huh? What? Huh? He goes, yeah, you know, I've, I've shown you how to do it. Just go in there and I, I take the bite. I go, dad, <laughs> you've never shown me how to take a bite from a dog. And I'm being like really meek. 
And it was that's how foreign it was to him yeah. for me to say that you never showed me how to take a bite yeah. from a dog. He, and he kind of he's paused for a second. He's like, I haven't shown you how to take a bite from a dog. <laughs> You'll figure it out. Yeah. Put the sleeve on and go in there. <laughs> but I was terrified. And the dog comes into the bushes. And, and I remember saying too, like that dog was not the family pet. I don't know who that dog was. Yeah, yeah. He just had a look in his eye. Mm -hmm. I give the bite as I had seen done many, many times. And these little milestones in my life, this is the kind of things that would happen. At 16 years old, I went to do, um, I started doing ride-alongs with my father. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw <sighs> car chases, bailouts, perimeters, and my dad would let me go on every single search. Again, to the point, my dad was a hardworking police officer. Like no one could ever take that away from him. But when his son's riding with him, yeah. He would just turn it up to 11. And so every <laughs> night we would go out. We were getting in a car chase and a perimeter. I mean, I saw dead bodies, this and that. But, I mean, first first night out of the gate, uh, we, we're doing a, a search. And uh, I remember being up. We, we ended up uh, – we pulled the dog out. There's a couple of guys bailed out of a stolen car. Mm -hmm. And long, long story short, we end up using the dog, and we find them hiding under an air conditioner. But like not a little air conditioner. It's like one of these giant industrial ones, like the size of it's just monstrous. Yeah. And we're up on the roof and we I actually end up seeing the guy. And the person's kind of concealed and all you can see is a little butt hanging. And there's this crawl space, like, I don't know, two feet that you to get to that person. And so I use the flashlight and I can see his butt and I come back out and I go, hey, hey dad, he's right there. And it's loud because the air conditioner is running. So he can't really hear us. And so they asked me, I don't even know if I should say this, has, has the seven years expired yeah. or whatever it is, the <laughs> statute of limitations? And and mind you, I'm only 16 years old, but we're up there on the roof with my father, another canine handler, and myself. And uh, we had left the dog tied up down on the bottom. We didn't want to bring him up on the roof. It was like a big thing. Yeah. So he said, okay, so the guy's under there. We're going to get him. They had just released pepper spray meaning pepper spray like just became a thing okay. um they had, so they'd just been given it and so they said okay well what do you think garrett would you rather uh see us use the pepper spray to get him out or use the dog <laughs> mind you i mean the guy's hiding right he's been hiding the helicopter yeah, stuff the, the guy's been hiding for two hours so <clears throat> he's not just giving up yeah so i said uh well can't you pepper spray him and then when he comes out bite him with the dog yeah <laughs> and then i remember my, my my father's friend, the canine handler, laughing. He goes, man, he's just like you, Gordon. My father's name is Gordon. He, the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. So we're all laughing like, all right, let's get the dog. It, it just makes more sense for the dog to get him because of where the guy is. So we bring the dog up. Mind you, I'm, actually, I almost got bit uh, in this scenario, but that's a story for another day. But we get the dog up on the roof. We send the dog in, and he ends up biting the guy. Fantastic. Um, that was my introduction to to police bite work or, or, or apprehensions. And it was like every week after that, I was hooked, man, riding with him, searching with him. And as we're searching, he's showing me the ropes. Here I am a 16 year old kid learning how to handle a police dog yep. when it really matters. I don't give two fucks if your dog can sit for you in your kitchen with a treat. <laughs> what I care about is will your dog rise to the occasion mm -hmm. and, and, and handle business when you encounter that that armed robbery offender, that murder suspect, that rapist, when you're in the search, when, I mean, when it really matters. Sure. And here I am at 16 years old, like getting shown the ropes. And it's just the most amazing thing you could ever, like, I would go back to school, like just very proud. Um, 
And how do you even express to other 16 year old kids in high school, like what you just witnessed, what you just saw, you know, some of these things I felt very, I don't know, privileged to have witnessed. So fast forward, 18 years old, I start working uh, dogs uh, through a favor that my father did um, for a company. This is post 9-11. And so they're using explosive ordnance detection dogs or EOD dogs to search for all the material going on and off cruise ships. Uh, to make sure a terrorist doesn't blow up a cruise ship. So at 18 years old, I get some kind of special security clearance to work at the ports, and I'm I'm kind of given a crash course, uh, and then on the job training under the the guidance of my father, showing me how to use uh, dogs. All of them fully, uh, we'll call them bite trained. These are all dogs imported from overseas, KNPV uh, dogs and, and other types, uh, Mondial Ring competition dogs, but that were imported for purposes of becoming police dogs. And so they all had bite work and they all were at this stage of the game imprinted on explosives. So I get to use these dogs for about two years, uh, but only as, as uh, detection dogs, but I became a pretty good detection dog handler at 18, 19, 20 years old. Then I get hired with the police department and then I'll just fast track it from here. I'm one of the youngest people to ever get accepted into the canine unit. I'm there in the canine unit. At that point in time, it was myself, my father, and my stepmother. All three of us were in the same canine unit, which is wow. just completely unheard of yeah. for the same agency. And um, I ended up leaving the canine unit very early. It was like one of the most difficult decisions I've ever had because I had a full ride scholarship to a college and I couldn't do both. I couldn't be in the canine unit and have a dog at home if I was spending X amount of hours in college, like not home. And so I ended up leaving the canine unit so that I could pursue the scholarship um fast forward i end up becoming a a sergeant they bring me back to the unit as a supervisor which ended up being the best time i've ever had in my career uh as a as a as a police officer i I was the senior start they basically there was a lot of issues going on in the canine unit at the time Mm -hmm. a lot and they basically disbanded over half the unit overnight they kicked out 60 something percent of the unit and so they needed uh, all new sergeants and a brand new lieutenant. And it's now to your point. I come in as the experienced um, canine person that's going to help rebuild the canine unit. And so we did. We hired a lot of great people, um, had a lot of work ahead of us. Uh, but now I'm back as a supervisor and a senior supervisor at that because we ended up bringing in two more sergeants. But I was the most senior one. And, you know, for anybody that knows anything, sergeants run the unit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not saying lieutenants don't own that unit, but sergeants are there like handling the business day to day. And so the lieutenant was pretty hands off at the time. But what ends up happening is I start traveling and going to different uh, conferences to learn how to, how can we improve? Because I just can't take good enough. I never leave good enough alone. There's always a better way to do something. There's always something that you can learn. Yeah. And so we would go to these conferences and I'd learn things. And I just realized I'm now realizing through my own studies too, man, we are in the fucking stone ages. Yeah. We're talking, this is around 2006, seven, eight, something like that. Yeah. And here we are in 2008 or whatever, pick the, pick the year. Mm-hmm. And we're not even using damn marker training. Yeah. We're not even using food rewards. Yeah. We, the biggest, and I'm just going to give, there's multiple points in time where me and the Lieutenant were butt heads. One of the big ones was that we had some old, you know, we have we have departmental orders that we have to follow. And more specifically, 
standard operating procedures that are written in-house for the canine unit. We get to write our own SOPs. Yeah. Well, there's this longstanding SOP, and I don't even know if it was an SOP or just this this old training habits die hard type situation where we must you must use a six foot leash when you are searching okay. for the baddest of the bad. That means you got to be real close to them. <laughs> Lord, fuck have mercy. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, geez. and I, and I just. It never felt right to me, yeah. <clears throat> but as an officer in the unit, you can't say shit. You just, yeah, yeah. yes, sir. No, sir. You do what you do. But now I'm a supervisor and I'm like, this is just wrong. Yeah. This is like so wrong. Mm -hmm. I remember going to a conference, speaking to someone who's you know pretty good when it comes to tactical tracking. And we were just having a nice friendly conversation about the different things you can use and yeah. what size leash do you like to run? But the industry standard at that time was, and still is uh, roughly speaking a 15 to 30 foot leash. That's yeah. kind of the average you would use for tracking for a, a, a suspect, a criminal suspect. Yeah. Here we are using a six foot leash. Was the mentality would, behind the six foot leash that longer than that would be potentially dangerous to civilians because the dog would be able to get too close to other people or something? You wouldn't have as much control? Yeah. 100%. Okay. Yes. And so because it's the city of Miami, we're, we're not really tracking through the woods. Yeah. It's a very urban, very dense population. Yeah. And yes, we do have accidental bites. It, not a lot, honestly, sure, but sure. here and there. But honestly, like a civilian, you know, getting bit by a police dog is a problem. Yeah. A police officer getting shot in the face because he's six feet away from a guy with a shotgun yeah. is a bigger problem. Sure. Mm -hmm. And so and just because you have a 15 foot leash, does it really amplify yeah. the possibility of a civilian getting bit. Yeah. Does it really? I mean, maybe marginally, sure. but it significantly helps you. By the way, this is my old uh, saying, and you can't, you can't argue with this. Mm -hmm. A six foot leash can never be a 15 foot leash, but a 15 foot leash could be always be a three, four, yeah. five or six foot leash. Just yeah. choke up on it. Mm -hmm. So if you need to round a corner and you're a little concerned that there might be a civilian there, then yeah. you choke up on the leash. But once you realize you're in the backyard and there's no civilians around, let that leash out, baby. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Protect yourself. Let the dog work. And so here we are. It's fucking common sense. Yeah. This is goddamn common sense. It's not like I'm some genius that come up with this. Sure. It just finally occurred to me, like, my God, we've been doing this so wrong for so long. And I'm the first one that can admit, like, I, I have no I have pride in all. But like, if I'm fucking up, let me know. And, and I try to look at it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, objectively, I think is the word. Yeah. And here we are. I said, so, hey, uh, from now on. And actually, this is going to mess you up further. <laughs> we were allowed to use a 15 foot leash. We, but we were only allowed to use the 15 foot leash on the very, on the more rare occasion that it was a full SWAT call out for an armed suspect that had just shot at the police and basically like a higher level uh, uh, of deployment, okay. meaning much riskier. Yeah, yeah. Those were, I wouldn't say few and far between, but <laughs> let's call it one out of 10, one out of 20 searches. Yeah. And so now what, what I would see happen is and this may not make a lot of sense to people, but imagine tethering up a buck wild Malinois, you know, that's 150 miles an hour and trying to control them on a 15 foot leash when they're buzzing left, buzzing right, circling around you. There's trees. You're in a junkyard. You have two or three SWAT guys that are flanking you. Yeah. It becomes a fucking catastrophe. Yeah, yeah. And so what ends up happening is they would deploy the 15 foot leash. But my guys and gals in the unit 
look like a bunch of fucking bumbling idiots with a 15 foot leash in their hand. Yeah. And so now what you're telling me is when the stakes are even higher, when it matters so much, your safety and your precision and your ability to handle a dog is now compromised because you're using a tool that you are not familiar with because you never practiced with it because yeah. anyhow. So I said, starting now, you will only use a 15 foot leash going forward yeah. now. And, but I always, I never force things on people sure. in, in training. Yes. I will force it upon you. I will put you out of your comfort zone uh, to make you better. But if on the real search today in training, you must use a 15 foot leash and every day going forward, you will use this 15 foot leash until you become a fucking master yeah. at the 15 foot leash. But tomorrow, if you need to search for someone and you feel better and more competent handling a six foot leash, then I'm not going to make that decision for you. You choose what tool's best for you. And fucking Lord have mercy. You know how it is. People hate change. Yeah. So I got cursed upside down, left side, right side. You fuck you. You're changing things. <laughs> this has worked so good for us for the past literally 30 or 40 years. This is the same tactics we've been using since literally 1965 when the yeah. unit started. Guess what happens after all the shit talking? A couple of months later, everybody and their mom is only using That's a 15 foot leash because they realize the beauty. They realize the tactical advantage you have. Yeah. I don't get credit for that shit. I don't need credit for that. The point is, is my guys and gals were that much safer. Yeah. This is just one issue that me and the Lieutenant would butt up against because he gave me an order. He saw me using a 15 foot leash, by the way, I'm not going to tell anybody to do something that I'm not going to do first. So I started using a 15 foot leash on every one of my training deployments. Yeah. But I was going against the fucking grain. Yeah. This is the stupidest thing, by the way. Like, you realize what we're talking like about. Leash length Six of all things. Yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. <clears throat> but this guy came down on me and says, Garrett, you know, you know, you know what the rules are. You know what the SOP state. You know what, what our, our training route. You must use a six-foot leash. I don't want to ever see you with a 15-foot leash. Yes, sir. <laughs> and immediately go back to using a 15-foot <laughs> leash. Like a fucking <laughs> asshole. Because... Um, and, you know, because I'd sit there because I would try to explain to him, hey, but, you know, there's a lot of advantages and this and that and blah, blah, blah. He told yeah. me, mind you, I'm a pretty experienced canine handler at this point, but I'm still going through the school. I have yeah. to go through a 480 hour school with my new dog in order to get certified. So what he told me was when you graduate from the school, then you can use the 15 foot leash. But while you're in school, you will do as we've always done. Oh, jeez. Like, get the fuck, man. So when I finally graduate and I'm ready to go deploy and go after that that murder suspect, oh, then I'll start using the 15-foot leash. Uh, anyways, that was just one of many, many, many um, uh, issues where he was just stuck in the old ways, and I'm trying to do new things and, and push the envelope. And, and I'm just going to give you one another silly example, and by no means do I pretend to be an expert on this or not, but I did read somewhere that when it comes to special forces training, the reason why those guys are so good is because th th you're actually don't quote me on this, but their training is so intense. There is a very high likelihood that they can die or get injured in training alone. A lot of special forces yeah. guys die or get injured in training mm -hmm. because they want to train at an 11 yeah. so that when they hit that eight, nine or 10 in the battlefield, they're ready for it. Yeah. And so I was roughly trying to do the same. I would make our trainings woo, a little intense, yeah. a little dangerous a little fucking realistic and um and by no means is it like was there a potential for someone to get shot or sure. anything like that but we got to bring that stress we've yeah. got to bring that adrenaline dump we've got to put them in uncomfortable situations so that when they really are dealing with a life or death situation the, the chances of them 
coming out of that unscathed is increased. Yeah. And but no, everyone wanted to just do the fucking bullshit training of like we call it training Wednesdays. Wednesdays is a typical training day across the nation where the entire unit comes together. It doesn't matter your days off or your duty hours. You make sure you're there on Wednesday at the appropriate time. And then you know what a lot of fucking goofy ass canine units are doing? They show up, they fucking get their car washed, they <laughs> they go to a full they go to a four hour lunch. Yeah. They leave early. They do one little fucking track. Yeah. And then they cut out four or five hours early. Yeah. yeah. And we've trained with those uh, agencies that do that. And guess what? Their dogs fucking suck. Their trainings suck. Then, you know what our training days were like? Fucking go, 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 yeah. go. Oh, shit. It's only an hour and a half left. We could set up one more track. Yeah, yeah. Let's get it. Let's get it. In fact, let's set up two tracks so we can get everybody out in an hour and a half. So. You know, and I was always pushing the envelope, and, and a lot of people uh, didn't agree with that. But hey, uh, I'll tell you what: nobody ever got hurt or injured on my watch. Yeah, and and a lot of the stuff that everyone begrudgingly, you know, was forced to do, man, they're still doing it to this day. We we I created some lasting effects in that unit. You know, uh, now you got the new guys in the unit, and you ask them like, "Hey, so why are you using a fifteen foot leash?" <laughs> well, I don't know. It's just the way it is. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> And awesome. I could go on and on, man. I'm just very passionate about it. Yeah. And canine training is just near and dear to my heart. Yeah, so. for sure. I mean, you're, you're really the first person I've had a chance to talk to about it who has transitioned into like the actual kind of pet dog field and kind of understands some of the faults and the, and the, and the ups and downs of it. So I think that's interesting. Um, so there, there's a million and one things I'd love to get into, but I had one more uh, topic I wanted to get into um, since we have about 20 minutes left here. Um, so, <laughs> uh, you know, obviously, talking, speaking, controversy and stuff like that in some of the things that you're posting. So one of the the first things I really remember seeing of yours that really did stir a lot of controversy, and even myself, like looking at it, like I didn't I didn't fully understand was uh, you posted a video with I believe it was your dog talking about like avoiding food aggression issues and mm -hmm. uh, like you know you're kind of like basically saying I think and, and again correct me if I'm wrong here you know really making sure that you could like kind of mess with the dog and get in their face and do a lot of that kind of stuff. And, you know, obviously as a trainer, I look at something like that and I look at like 99% of the things that I see people when they come in that have dogs with food aggression is they fucked with the dog so much when they were younger. And I, un I think I understand your point, which is like with your dog, you should be able to do whatever the fuck you need to do with your dog. And the dog shouldn't mm -hmm. bite you, which I a hundred percent agree with. But what was your take on when you put that video out and kind of some of your opinions and stuff on that? Yeah. So once again, didn't think that that would cause such a controversy. <laughs> um, we had um, it was actually a funny comment. One of the first comments, because it went s somewhat viral, at least within the dog training community. Yeah. And you had some very, you know, well-known um, uh, <laughs> dog trainers. Sure. And I use that term very loosely, <laughs> but people with uh, clout on social media, big followers come on. And the funniest comment of them all was finally some basically finally someone so fucked up, meaning me, <laughs> that we can actually for the first time ever unite <laughs> all the other dog trainers in the world as to how fucked up somebody is. Sure. <laughs> at least we can finally all agree on something, which is and this is kind of the quote, at least we can finally all agree on something that this guy actually is an asshole, meaning me. Oh, okay. So, and once again, I find that funny because again, if I see a dog trainer do something that I don't agree with, yeah. you're not going to hear a peep from me mm -hmm. to each their own. Now, what all of these dog trainers had in common 
was that they're exactly that. They're civilian dog trainers Mm -hmm. who have never in their fucking life ever did or ever will. We go back to the police canine training ever removed an 80, 90, 100 pound Dutch shepherd, Malinois or German shepherd fucking killers, dog killer dogs from a live street bite. Mm -hmm. And if you want to talk about possession and drive, we're talking the upper echelon of possession and drive. Mm -hmm. Uh, When these dogs are biting someone, Mm -hmm. human flesh, and you need to get that dog off in no uncertain fucking terms. Furthermore, when you need to be hands on with the object of prey at that point, if you want to call it prey drive, Mm -hmm. when that dog is, you know, balls deep on that bite and we got to get in there and handcuff the person or maybe the guy's still fighting none of the people uh from my knowledge i'm not sitting there doing you know research on every you know ten thousand. not everybody that made a comment but the big names sure none of them have ever experienced that and so when you're dealing with police dog training there needs to be a certain relationship established between you and your dog mm-hmm. which is that hey I need you to be at your best, your best. And when the, when, when it's go time, I need you to handle fucking business. And you say, what the hell does this have to do with food drive? There's not a big difference between food drive and a dog uh, clamping on someone's arm or whatever. Yeah. Um, we're talking about high levels of drive. When you tell that dog to let go and back the fuck up from that person, mm-hmm. they need to stop what they're doing and back up. Yeah. To, you know, we have to have control. They got to have that control work. Lives are on the line, right? Your career is on the line because everybody and their mom has cameras now. If you haven't seen those videos, there's dozens, if not hundreds of them out there with fully trained police dogs that will not let go. Mm -hmm. They're fully wrapped. I'm talking they are wrapped and they are in it to win it, man. They are not letting go for nothing. Handlers telling them to out. This dog ain't letting go for shit. Mm -hmm. And that's unacceptable, of course. So you need to both in training and in real life, set the precedence that if I say to out, you need to let go. Yeah. Obviously there's a lot of training that goes into that and it doesn't need to be conflict when done right. There is no conflict, Yeah. but not everything goes right. Sometimes there is conflict. Yeah. I asked those same trainers that want to weigh in on their opinion. First off, have you ever had to fight a dog and do a physical removal yep. of a, of a canine dog biting human flesh? No, you probably haven't. Have you ever seen a dog get removed off of a bite only to come up the line and attack the handler? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean like no, nibble the handler. Oh, yeah. I mean, full on, you know, yeah, probably not. So now when it comes to, and again, this comes into the situation of taking a 60 second video and yeah. somewhat taking it out of context. Sure. If I could have a 30 minute explanation of it, it would be more clear. I think the first thing is, do I regret putting that video out? Not in the slightest. No. Yeah. Do I regret anything I said in that video? Not in the slightest. I still hold true to it because where people probably didn't hear this part, and I haven't heard this video in a while, I say that when your dog is a puppy, yeah. 8, 10, 12 weeks old, in so many words, you need to explore yeah. the potential to find out whether or not your dog has food aggression. Sure. Because if it does have food aggression, you need to stop it in its tracks right then and there. Yeah. You need to set the tone early. Yep. 100% I agree that if done incorrectly and you're just pestering the dog yep. for no reason and you do it nonstop every day, 
that you can create food aggression. A hundred percent you can. Yeah. All I was trying to say was if you can catch it, let's say for just a minute that you get that 12 week old dog, the three month old dog that has tendency for food aggression genetically or whatever. And you come over. Let, uh, one second real quick. So, so you brought up a point that I think is really interesting that at least in my experience with food aggression, so I owned a German shepherd that had un, unbelievable food aggression issues. So I could relate a lot to like everything that you're saying as far as you got to fucking squash that shit when it happens. 100%. Right now, what I've seen with a lot of the dogs that have it is really interesting. Like it is like a genetic thing that's wired into them. You know what I mean? It's yep. like they have it or they don't have it, you know? And, and some of the ones that like learn it, quote unquote, you know, it's, it's never this major, you know, it's their snarky over the food. They'll kind of snap at you and stuff like that, but it's not right. like I'm going to kill you over this food bowl, you know? Correct. So yeah. I, I, I agree with that. A, I think that's statement a very a lot. interesting thing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think food aggression is necessarily to your point. It's not so much a learned behavior as it is a genetic behavior. Can it be learned? Of course it can. Sure. But it's, that's why I'm telling you, you need to explore at 8, 10, or 12 weeks old whether the dog has a propensity towards it or not. And you need to keep checking in with that dog. I'm not saying every day fuck with the dog. Yeah. Just saying here and there. Yeah. Let's have some decorum. Let's have some respect around the food situation. Mm -hmm. For me, and this is going to piss a lot of people off, but there's this whole theory that there's no such thing as dominance in the dog world. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know who's saying that or where that's coming from or what scientific fucking study they did. Yeah. They're fucking wrong. They're just wrong. Yeah. I, I, uh, They're very tell pushy, me that. assertive, dominant dogs out there. I mean, yeah, tell me that when, when you have a police dog that's trying to eat that guy hiding over there under the shed or whatever, and it's a no-bite scenario, meaning yeah. the guy's giving up. Dog doesn't understand give up. Dog yeah. understands must kill, must kill, must kill. And we have dogs that look back and go, motherfucker, are you going to let go of this leash or not? Because if you're not, <laughs> I'm going to eat your ass. Yeah. And guess what they do? They come right up the line. We're talking, people haven't, these dog trainers, yeah. some of these civilian pet dog trainers have never seen true, true dominance. Yep. I'm talking man eaters. And um, that's what I grew up with. So I'm coming from a different angle. Yeah. And I'm simply saying if your three-month-old dog has it, better to recognize it now and deal with it now. Because what's the worst that's going to happen? It bites you? Good. At least a three-month-old puppy bit you and not a two- or three-year-old dog has been getting away with this for a long time. Yeah. The other thing is, because this goes on and on, they're saying that you should just – their simple answer that I, that I got a lot was just leave the dog alone. Yeah. Just let the dog eat in peace. Yeah. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. Try to tell that but to my two, three, four-year-old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, no. Yeah. I, oh, yeah, and that, yeah, that point you were bringing up, obviously. I get it, it, yeah. it, so now <laughs> when we have a dog – that has unknown food aggression or it has food aggression, but we're just going to yeah. leave it alone. Uh -huh. Well, when your dog's eating and you, whether you have kids or your friends come over with kids or your friends come over with another dog, it is, is a ticking time bomb. It's not if it's when yeah. your dog who has food aggression that was never identified or properly dealt with at our young age, preferably. Yeah. It's now manifested itself because it's been left alone. Um, again, to your point and my point, it's there. Yeah. We'll follow your advice, not yours, their advice. Yeah. Just leave the dog alone. Okay. Yeah. Two years later, we've left the dog alone. We don't even explore if it has food aggression, mm -hmm. but it's there naturally genetically. Yeah. We did nothing to further it along. And now your your friend's uh, two or three or four year old kid comes over to simply pet the dog while it's eating, mm -hmm. and gets their fucking face ripped off. Yeah, 
happens all the time. And you'll say, well, you just need to tell the kid to stay away from the dog while it's eating. Beautiful. Perfect. Makes abundant, makes so much sense. We know the dog is predisposed to being a food aggressive dick. So we just won't have food down when the four-year-old's around. Perfect. Until someone drops a fucking French fry. Until there's a toy in play. And to and get my mind you, if there's food aggression, there's likely some other derivatives of it, some type of resource guarding of the couch yeah. or whatever. And so to me, that's just sweeping the problem under the rug or hiding from it or whatever. Yeah. I'm telling you from my limited background and experience, from my experiences, you need to come in there like with fucking napalm and we're going to fix that problem. Yeah. And it's so much easier to fix that problem when they're young. Yeah for multiple of reasons than to sit there and wait till the dog's two, three, four years old and getting away with fucking murder. Yeah. And now it, it, it doesn't know, but to be food aggressive. So where did I go wrong in what I said? If you don't listen carefully, what it sounds like I'm saying, which is not at all. Yeah. Just every single day the time while they're eating. Yeah. come over and fuck with your dog. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you have a four year old dog. That's food aggressive. You just adopted it from the pound. Uh, stick your hand in its bowl. Yeah. Oh, you're going to get fucked up. Yeah. But guess what Garrett's going to do? Guess what I have to do? I get paid to do this. We get food aggressive dogs in here. Mm-hmm. You know how we fix it? Got to get in there, baby. You yeah. got to get fuck in there. And now I'm going to, I wish I had these videos to share with you because I'm going to give you an example of some, some of this foo-foo training that went horrendously wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Guy reaches out to me about a year ago. We have time for this or no? Oh, I've got all the time in the world. Beautiful. Guy reaches out to me. Has a one-year-old Connie Corso, male, intact. Badass-looking dog. Beautiful. Just just jacked. Yeah. Telling me that the dog has been showing signs of food aggression and other dominant-related issues uh, since it was like three, four, five months old. Just getting worse. Hence why I don't recommend this dog because when they're dominant, ooh, it's a lot of dog. Kind of, uh, the dog's been checking the girlfriend. What do I mean by checking? Like, if she comes in the house yep. or a door opens, if he's not first out, he'll kind of tag her in the in the leg or the ass. Yeah, uh, little little what we call them bitch bites. Sure. Um, the food aggression started with guess what? Guess what? It started with just a little bit of growling. Mm-hmm. But we followed the advice and we left the dog alone. Yeah, and it only got fucking worse. No shit. So here we are a year later, food aggression is like a, like an eight out of 10, which is bad, really bad. So they hire a trainer to do boarding and training. This is a positive only person, female trainer. And this woman does a phenomenal job of documenting almost every training session for like five or six weeks. This guy sends me every one and I watch him. You can't make this shit up. There is a point in time, and I wish I had the videos to share with you, where she's in her home, and there's a bone on the ground, some kind of like bone or some shit, and she's trying to work on the food aggression. So there's a bone on the ground. At some point, the dog, she's in the room with him, like a bedroom. He leaves the bone. Even he's giving her that look, like the back the fuck up look. Yep. He drops the bone and starts <laughs> stepping towards her, Yep. growling. Looking like he's going to fuck her up. A show of dominance saying, hey, you need to back up. You know what she does? She she pulls a Victoria Stilwell. She's filming this, mind you. She goes, "Uh uh-oh, 
I mean, she's fucking terrified. You can hear it in her voice. Mm -hmm. Fucking terrified. Uh, Her voice is kind of changing. Like, "Um, okay, so what you're going to do when this happens? And, oh, yeah, you know, I'm happy that this is happening so that I can show you what you're supposed to do. She's still filming it. You simply turn and give your back to the dog. That will solve the problem. She turns or gives her back to the dog, and I go, fuck me. Luckily, the dog, she submitted to him. The dog goes back over, keeps eating the bone. That's one example. Yeah. Fucking complete failure. <clears throat> the next example, this one was hysterical. They back, because there's video after video of this nonsense. It just gets worse and worse, man. Yeah. They back tie the dog to a tree. <clears throat> now it's her and another uh, trainer, some male. They need two people to work this dog. They give the dog a bowl of food and it's back tied to the tree. Food aggression is so bad that the dog won't even eat the food. He's just resource guarding it, literally just staring, staring near it yeah. and making sure everybody and their mom knows that that's his bowl of food. <clears throat> As the dog is showing signs of aggression, growling, launching at the end of the line, trying to tear their ass apart. <laughs> their solution is to literally throw food at it. Yeah. And I'm talking like like kibble and just yeah. throw food at it. The, the I don't know how they ever food- got that dog. The counter conditioning food aggression uh, uh, concept is just baffling to me because like when you get into like dogs like the one you're describing, like that sounds very, very similar to my German Shepherd that I had. Um, he it, it it's it's just like they're not in they're not even in like a clear state of mind while it's like they have no idea. Like they turn into a different animal. You know what I mean? Like it's mm-hmm. I just can't wrap my head around like you're just going to create a positive association with it. Yeah, it's it's there's some truth to that. There is a time. To let the dog know, like, your hand is not always taking food away. Yeah. Sometimes it brings in more food. In other words, my hand means nothing. Yeah. But it also means, like, if I were to take the food bowl from you, yeah. there ain't a fucking thing you're going to do about it. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to set that tone real goddamn early. Yeah. Um, because if you don't, you're going to have a goddamn man eater on your hands. Yeah. And so I don't know what their solution is. And I'm trying to, you know, maybe I'm lumping them into a big group, but I got a lot of hate for that video. Again, all the canine trainers in the world united against me that I was an asshole. But then again, when's the last time you pulled a hundred pound German shepherd off of, uh, what are you going to do? Yeah. Counter condition. Hey, if you let go of that guy's leg, I'll give you another leg. Get the (laughs) fuck out of here. So, um, I'll just finish it with this because I'm going somewhere with it. Video after video of this dog displaying horrendous food aggression and resource guarding. Yeah. Five, six weeks later, guess what the final video was? They're doing the take-home training. The dog is in the the, the, the owner's house yeah. in a sit-stay. The trainer who trained it, the female trainer, is sitting behind this Cane Corso. Mm-hmm. And they're discussing, I don't know what, something about the training. And everything's wonderful and jovial. There's about four or five adults in the room. Everyone's sitting on a couch and kind of a round table, but the dog is, is kind of backed up, probably kind of resource guarding the trainer almost. She's the dog sitting on the trainer's foot and like leaned up against her. And the, the trainer's petting the dog. I wouldn't be doing that shit. I'd tell that dog, mm-hmm. get the fuck off my foot. Yeah. Excuse my language, but knowing the dog's history, she's petting the dog and she goes to stand up, right? She stands up, the dog looks. Now she's somewhat standing over the top of this dog. This dog fucks her up, bites her arm, full mouth bite, and starts thrashing. She's screaming bloody murder, Mm. and and the camera falls, 
And she ends up taking like a 10, 15 second ride on a, on a, you know, about a hundred plus pound kind of course of tearing her ass. This is a dog. She trained for six weeks and counter conditioned all the evil out of him. This dog fucked her up and I couldn't fucking, but stop laughing. I watched it again and again (laughs) and again. And I sent it to all my, you know, in-house dog trainers, you know, just to discuss it's sad. It's horrific, but it's funny as fuck at the same time. You got everything exactly what you deserved. You turn your back on that dog, that dog, if you were to ask that dog, I can't wait for Elon Musk to develop a little chip that can convert <laughs> dog's thoughts into words. If we could ask that dog, let's call that dog's name um, Max. Hey, Max, what's going on, bro? I don't know. This goofy-ass trainer that works for me, she's my bitch. I don't know what she thought she was doing standing over the top of me. I put her in her place. Yeah, You saw me do that. Oh, man. Fuck yeah. Yeah, that's that goofy ass trainer. I have to growl at her. That's the only way she listens. I growl at her. That's when she brings me more food. She's an idiot. Yeah, yeah. But she works for me. She's one of my employees. You know. I, so I think you. I think you bring up some extremely, extremely valid points with all of that. You know, I, again, like obviously, even myself when I first saw that video, I was kind of like, "That's that doesn't make any." You know, because again, I'm looking at it from just the I see this guy just messing with this dog the whole time. But as we break down like what you're saying over top of it, again, I, I. I, I complete I can, I can't actually can't agree with you more with a lot of that kind of stuff right there's just so and that's the problem with social media right and you're putting out 60 second videos is without the full context of all of it um, you know it's 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 very difficult now I do have one last uh, follow-up kind of point slash question to all that because you were bringing up you know what happens when uh, the neighbor's kids over what happens when a family members over and run into this situation et cetera et cetera so with understanding that food aggression is obviously very genetic with some dogs, while also understanding that dog training is not something you put on the dog and they're trained and suddenly just listen and don't do things anymore, right? It, more or less dog training is very relationship-based, right? Like you were saying, like I have a relationship with my Malinois where he knows I can do whatever the fuck I want with him, right? He knows that he needs to listen to me all the time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. I don't see that translate very effectively as far as that true understanding of, you want to call it dominance, you want to call it whatever it is, that I am more dominant than the dog, where, you know, if a kid runs into that same situation or somebody that doesn't have that relationship runs into that situation with the dog, that the dog's not going to still rehearse that behavior. So what's your opinion on that? So it's a fantastic question. And I think that's just one of the riddles of, of dog training. Like we call it generalizing uh, and we try our best to do that. Hence why my whole family's involved in the dog training. Sure. I mean, we have to come to a point once I, that dog understands that um, we call it like Dr. Seuss Yeah. in on a train, in the rain, on a plane. Yeah. I don't care where we are. Um, dog um, food aggression is not part of your repertoire. Yeah. Furthermore, we instill what's called a correction with direction. Yeah. I, I don't know if I invented that term or not. I don't know anybody else who uses it, but it's, I'm not just, if the bad behavior presents itself, I don't just try to squash the behavior. Yeah. I say, stop doing that and start doing this. Yeah. And what we start to instill is a leave it command and leave it means back the fuck up, stop what you're doing and get very far away from not only me, but the food item. Mm-hmm. And it needs to be rehearsed. So it's almost subconscious. And that's done with me. Then it's done with trainer number two trainer number three, trainer number four, in every environment with every type of food item that we can imagine around other dogs. And then, you know, bless my children, bring them in. And I have to use my own children almost as like guinea pigs. Yeah. You're going to have to call, uh, uh, you know, 
uh, VCF on me or whatever. Yeah. Obviously, everything's done in, in an yeah. unbelievably controlled environment. And thank God, yeah. none of my kids have ever been bit or hurt by a dog. I would never put that on them. Mm-hmm. We are already at a point with this food aggressive dog that uh, it, it, it's it's just in another world. It's it's in a the opposite of what you mentioned, where we think of it as the dog is kind of like seeing red. Yeah. This dog is so passive and so docile and so submissive at this point that there's not even a hint yeah. of stupidity left. And we will now condition it that when little people come over and they say, leave it, or they get near your food, yeah. you also clear space, create a wide path. And we just instill in the dog that you are uh, not second in command on this totem pole. Yeah. You are the lowest person on this totem pole in my house, in that house, and every anybody else's house. Then we instill teach the owners how to deal with it. And we empower their, um, uh, them with not only the, how to do it, but their voice and their presence also carries the same weight as mine. They can tell you to leave it and you better back up as well. Does that mean we've solved the problem for the life of the dog? No. No, not at all. Not at all. But we are definitely taking steps in the right direction. Um, uh, the, the other solution to just ignore the dog, it, that's not a solution yeah. ever. Are there other little things that you can do? Mind you, I still believe in a lot of the other tactics and techniques that people are proposing, which for instance, here's one. While the dog's eating, your hand comes in with more food. Sure. I'm all for that. Do that. Yeah. You not can't do that when the dog's issue. first initial yeah. reaction is to rip your fucking hand off. Yeah. So sometimes we got to chip away like poorly porn concrete concrete that was just not poured right to begin with we come in there with a jackhammer we clear it out we have a new foundation and now that the dog's no longer ripping you know going to rip someone's hand off now we go to those more positive techniques and start adding food and praising them when they're not a bunch of assholes or whatever so uh, uh it's not like there's just one way to do it but no, yeah. there is no such thing as as a as a guarantee and i'll leave you with this one this so this so no one can argue with this whether it's food aggression or dog-on-dog aggression, mm-hmm. we always have to remember this, especially if it's genetic. I will ask that trainer who's questioning maybe my tactics, or I think this is just a different way to answer your question, which was, again, how do we guarantee that the dog won't do it to somebody else? Yeah. Well, you don't, obviously. I mean, <laughs> Right. Yeah. I, I don't think you can, and I think anybody that says you can yeah. is just an idiot. Yeah. Um, I, I, I propose this question to you. How do you keep a pedophile from being a pedophile? Do you train it out of them? Yeah. You know, oh, and, and by that, I mean, how do you get a pedophile to stop having dirty thoughts? Yeah, yeah. You know, and we'll take that same example. Yeah. Can you leave a pedophile with me? And in no uncertain terms, if there is a child in the room, bro, you won't look at that kid. Yeah. You won't talk to that kid. And you better fucking behave yourself. Yeah. And you could drill that into that individual. But if I leave the room and we do this for years, for years and years and years, we have yet to find a way to cure that, whether it's a genetic thing or or, uh, something that they learned along the way. How do you guarantee that the pedophile won't be a pedophile? I don't think you can. It's there. So sometimes with dog training, you're just sometimes just putting a bandaid. It's a it's a never ending battle to yeah. keep that dog in check or to keep that, in this case, that pedophile in check. I mean, it, it's kind of a really twisted example, but, but no one's ever been able to answer that for me. How do you keep a pedophile from having 
pedophile thoughts. Yeah. And I think that's, I, don't hard, know. I think that's the hardest part about doing behavioral modification, especially when you're dealing with more serious dogs, uh, is, you know, I, I, again, the, the, the logic, correct me, if I'm wrong of stopping it, right. Generalizing, stopping it as much as you possibly can, but then putting in place as many safety protocols on the back end to make sure it doesn't happen. So that's where once you've generalized and stopped, right. Then, okay. Yeah. If the neighbor's kids are coming over, maybe if you choose to keep the dog in a crate, then it's not the end of the world, right. Maybe if you make sure food isn't out to minimize the chance of it even happening, right, is a good thing that you probably should do at that point. But you've done your groundwork and your homework to make sure if in the one-off chance it does happen, you've at least got some sort of a chance of it not turning into a serious problem then at that point. Agreed, yeah. And you can almost call it like layers or levels of protection, yeah. you know. No, I like um, that, yeah. Tools are installed. The dog has had rep after rep in that kitchen all over the house with yeah. various food items. Maybe you just charged up that leave it command and you yeah, see yeah. the little four-year-old coming over. Yeah. Like, oh, before you can even get over to the four-year-old who's about to pet your dog who's maybe chewing on a bone, you're able from the cross the room say leave it and the dog goes whoop yep. and, 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 and rolls on its back. Sure. Yes. You know, like it worked. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, when in doubt, um, put, put them up in a crate. But you know what I'm never going to do is just ignore it. Yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm going to. I'm going to poke to find out if there's a problem there Yeah, and, and we're going to fix it. You know what I mean? That That's all I was saying. And once again, with a puppy, do it with a puppy here and there as you need to little integrity checks. We say little integrity checks. And, and I say in my training, there's three times to, to really, there's more than three, but there's three solid times uh, to establish dominance in your relationship with your dog. And I know that puts people way off. Mm-hmm. Fine. Hey, I just deal with it. Um, that is feeding time. Yeah. Doorways and thresholds and the walk. You know, if your dog respects you during feeding time at doorways and thresholds and during the walk, chances are they respect you the rest of the time too. Yeah. Um, but why well, I've seen just horrendous examples of, even just little three-month-old puppies. There's a, there's someone sent me a video the other day, and I know we can just talk forever about it. It's a three- or four-month-old little Conan Corso. This little son of a gun, he is a dominant little son. Of, I mean, he is tough. Yeah. Where the issue comes in is he'll be on the couch sleeping, and they go to move him. He growls and tries to bite him Yeah. at four months old. It's like, a, what do you call that? That's not taught. It's that's, wild. That's pre-installed from the like factory. That. Yeah, yeah, it's wild. We used to, so the the guy that I used to train Mondia ring with, uh, he used to breed Malinois as well, and I would take some of them home and keep them for the first month or two, stuff like that. And it's so wild when you see these little guys at eight weeks old, twelve weeks old, stuff like that, that are just little fucking little assholes. <laughs> I used to call them. Like, yeah. yeah, man, they will push you around to no goddamn end. Yeah. So. And I love those dogs, by the of way. Course, They're my they favorite. Make, That's what I prefer to work. They make the best dogs once you get them to channel it into something good. So I'm with yeah, awesome. yeah. So, and I think in the end, hey, I don't think we'll, anybody will ever agree on, we're never going to agree on 100% of, of the course. things, but um, to each their own, Yeah, uh, it is what it is, you know. Uh, I'm not perfect. I'm still learning every day. Um, I still seek out advice when I can, as I need it. Yeah. Um, but on this one, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I still very, uh, it, it is what it is. Yeah. And, and I get it. But, had I had a 30-minute explanation, sure, great. But 60-second video, you know, yeah. take with it from what you can. At least we started the conversation. Of course. Mind you, if I may also say, as much hate as we got on that, 
at least it was a one-to-one, if not a two-to-one ratio of people saying, I've yeah. done this with my dogs for the last 40 years and it's worked perfect for, for me. I mean, yeah. and it's time after time after time. This guy knows what he's talking about. And it's like, it's just two different trains of thought, two yeah. different schools of thought. It may not work for everyone. Yeah. I'll tell you what, it didn't work for that girl I just gave you an example of. Her style of training did not work for that Corso. Yeah. Might have worked for another dog. Didn't work for that one. I could have fixed that dog. I could have. Yeah. Uh, but we go back to your point. Would the owners have been able to keep that going forward? I mean, that dog been getting away with murder for a long time. So, yeah. Well, yeah, that was a, that was something I was excited to kind of get into. And I really like that clarification on all of it for sure. So, uh, well, listen, man, I'm not gonna take up any more of your time here. I really appreciate you coming on. I think this was a great conversation. Um, we'll definitely have to do it again sometime. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it guys. Yeah. You want to give the people where they can find you? I know you do your online courses and all that. Yeah. So American Standard K9 is uh, our social media platforms uh, for the most part. American Standard, the letter K, the number nine. And then if you all want to learn how to train your dogs from the comfort of your home, do it yourself. We've got DIYK9.com. We've got a bunch of online courses where you can uh, uh, learn to train your dog from zero to hero. We have a bunch of courses out now. We actually have a Black Friday sale going on now. I don't know when this, this video is going to go up, but uh, we, uh, we have a lot of courses out now and more to come. So thank you very much again for having me. Hell yeah, man. Appreciate it. We'll catch you soon. All right. Until next time. Have a good one, man. Thank you. See you on the next one, guys.